Hey, it's Karen with Rational in Portland. Today is March 29th, 2022. I love starting our show with examples of Portland becoming more rational. So let's continue that glasses half full attitude. Currently here in Oregon, kids are going to school unmasked, even at Portland public schools if they so choose. Portlanders are unmasked indoors if they so choose, as long as they are in a business that allows it. Healthcare settings and planes still require masks. Schools closed in Oregon on March 16th, 2020. According to the Oregon Department of Education website on December 23rd, 2020, Governor Brown issued a statement hoping that schools will be open for in-person instruction by February 15th, 2021. January 1, 2021, schools in Oregon were eligible to return to in-person instruction if the local district or local private school decided to open, and many private schools did open. In December of 2020, remember, Oregon started its vaccine rollout. The first people in line for that vaccine were healthcare workers and staff and residents at skilled nursing facilities. Now that was called phase 1A. The second phase, phase 1B, was teachers and school staff, as well as essential workers whose jobs put them at risk, people over the age of 75 and people with pre-existing conditions. According to the AP, On January 22nd, 2021, Governor Brown defended her decision to prioritize teachers for the vaccine before older individuals aged 65 to 74, certainly within the risk group for severe COVID, by stating that if we vaccinated Oregon seniors first, teachers probably wouldn't be vaccinated before the end of the school year in 2021, and therefore they'd refuse to open schools before the end of the school year. As it turns out, according to the Oregonian, April 13th, 2021, Portland Public Schools was among the last of the state's largest districts to reopen for in-person instruction. The elementary schools in Portland Public Schools opened for half-day instruction April 1st, 2021. So school was closed for over a year. It closed March 16th, 2020. But remember, when Portland Public Schools opens April 2nd, 2021 for elementary kids, Even the elementary wasn't fully open. In Portland Public, the elementary kids only went to school for a couple hours a day, four days a week. You either went in the mornings or the afternoons, and that was only, again, four days a week. According to that April 13th, 2021 Oregonian article, Portland Public Schools had physical distancing four times the rate federal public health officials say is necessary when students wear masks due to teachers' union demands. Schools did not fully open for Portland Public School kids until September 2021. Portland Public Schools was one of the very last districts in the country to fully reopen. February 17th, 2021, the New York Times did an article called Oregon is Vaccinating Teachers. It might not be enough to open schools, discussing the fact that Pacific Coast cities were among the last in the United States to resume in-person teaching. Well, Portland Monthly has an article today, March 29th, 2022, that we could have scripted together over half of a bottle of wine entitled Inside the Search for Hundreds of Portland's Missing Students. According to this article, students were not flagged in the system as they would have been pre-COVID if they didn't show up for school. Back in the olden days, we called that person in charge of kids not showing up for school the truant officer. So basically during COVID, Oregon suspended its truancy flag that normally would have triggered outreach to that family. The woman who runs what's called the Reconnection Services Team, the people who track these kids down, says Oregon has no idea how many middle and high school kids went missing from the school system. According to this article, the state has $74 million, use it or lose it money. They have to use it by 2024. The Portland Public School District plans to spend $24 million of that money in just this year. 2.4 million of the 24 million Portland Public plans to spend is earmarked to find 
these kids and get them back into school. Now, what is this money for? Portland Public wants to use it for, quote, student re-engagement and racial equity and social justice partnerships with cultural organizations like the Latino Network, unquote. Apparently, some of the millions have no plans earmarked for them. Some departments within PPS are using less of the funds than planned for. This team that goes out and finds these kids says that these students need to relearn how to be in school this year after so long outside of a school building. This is tragic. We have absolutely failed these kids, and there are no excuses for it. Everyone didn't drop dead the minute schools were open. The Portland Teachers Union knew from the observational evidence of the majority of schools around the country in the United States, but also in Europe that were open, and from Emily Oster's studies, the schools were not a source of transmission of COVID. Portland Teachers Union members were prioritized for the vaccination over Oregon seniors, and none of that mattered. And school closures in Portland, Oregon are one of the key reasons I found myself disaffected from the Oregon Democratic Party, which is beholden to that same teachers union that kept schools closed. Nonetheless, I voted for Biden. I remain an Oregon Democrat. I switched my voter registration to independent out of some kind of sense of integrity or something. But given how blue Portland is and given that I want to vote in the primaries, I switch back. So I am still an Oregon Democrat, have been uh, my whole life, except for that brief, what, like one week period when I woke up and realized it would be idiotic. And frankly, that's just because Portland is so blue that the primaries virtually determine who the ultimate candidate is anyway. And I, I want to say, and I'm not ready to cross over to the Republicans. I don't know if I ever will be. Um, and we can talk about that and those reasons another time. But today, a fellow Portlander, another person living in the city of Portland and a listener reached out to talk to me because she is a two-time Trump voter. Her name is Rosie. I sat down with her, although we disagreed on a lot. We were able to come together and chat. And that's what we all should be doing. I, I mean, this divisiveness has got to stop. All of us should be reaching across the aisle and talking to each other. And so stay tuned to hear two Portlanders, one a Biden voter, that would be me, and the other a two-time Trump voter, complete with her mega gear, although she didn't wear it to talk to me, unfortunately, but she swears she has it. We're going to hash it out. Rosie was a college-educated corporate worker who quit her job at a Fortune 100 company because she decided that its woke culture was intolerable. Stay tuned for Rosie's story. If you like the podcast and want to support us, please tell a friend, give us a good rating on iTunes, and stay tuned for Rosie. Now, Rosie here has signed an NDA. We're not going to talk about the company that Rosie came from. We cannot get into the real specific nitty gritty that we'd so love to do because of that NDA, but what we can do is tell you that she worked for a Fortune 100 company. And we can dig into a little bit about why she left that company and the kinds of things, you know, although we can't like link to documents or anything, we can certainly, she's given me permission to dig into the kinds of things that led her to leave this company. So Rosie, what can you tell us about this company when you first started working there? Was that woke culture already embedded? Woke culture um, certainly was embedded and started to accelerate as the years went on. 
before I dive into that, I just first want to say thank you for the honor of being on your podcast. I think that what you're doing here um, to help generate awareness and foster sort of healthy dialogue, debate, and is is a blessing to Portland for this opportunity to be here. Oh, thanks um, so much. Yeah, I, I recently left a large corporation. I've been in corporate America for a couple of decades. Um, I left for several reasons. The Great Resignation is is real. Um, people are leaving for several reasons: for burnout, um, toxic management, um, mandates, several reasons. But one of the reasons, and I would say almost half the reason I left, was the acceleration of what I would call woke ideology. Um, the ongoing unconscious bias trainings, um, the diversity trainings, after a while, to be honest, became divisive. And as a woman, I felt that they started to become offensive. Um, we received a list of words that we were no longer allowed to say. It was somewhere from a five to eight pages, several words we were no longer allowed to say. There was an HR hotline that was opened where employees could basically tattle on each other for saying these words. Um, during the pandemic, there was an anti-fatness training. And really, if you didn't tow the corporate line from an ideological perspective, you were essentially silenced. And so that was part of the reason that I ultimately opted out. Okay, so tell me about this, the lines that you weren't allowed to say. Was the idea that, hey, once you walk through these doors, these words are verboten in any medium whatsoever? It was an HR document that was released to everyone um, under the guise of diversity and inclusion. And it was really a list of words that you weren't allowed to say in email or in meetings. Um, things like, hey, you guys, due to um, you know, gender um, respect. Things like whitelist, blacklist, tribal knowledge, um, circle the wagons. You know, things, things that, that we were no longer allowed to say due to cultural um, sensitivity. So um, it, it, it started to evolve to a point where it felt like censorship. You're a pretty socially progressive person. Do, do you think that's correct? I would say that. So as a socially progressive person, I am too. I mean, my inclination is just sort of like, yeah, what can I do to keep, progressing to keep things moving to keep things inclusive to advance racial justice i mean did you did you feel like all those although this uh these are the words you can't say was in response to george floyd which i think we can all agree was i don't know i i'm assuming you can agree. i i certainly think it was wrong it was horrific um, so we can all agree that, that, that he was murdered and that was wrong and that Darren Derek Chauvin is correctly in jail. But, um, I guess the question is, did you, did you feel like this words of what you can't say ad advance the cause of racial or frankly, social justice in any way whatsoever? No, I think it became poisonous to the corporate culture. And I think it's actually becoming poisonous to American culture. I think it's become so progressive that it's actually regressive. It's becoming toxic and poisonous where people are walking on eggshells, afraid of what to say, afraid whether they're going to offend somebody, um, to the point where I believe it's driving um, more divisiveness. Did any of your peers, any of your colleagues, express the same kind of concerns that you are now? No. 
do, do you think it's because they had no concerns or they didn't feel safe talking about it? I don't think people feel safe talking about it or challenging any sort of narrative. Did you express any concerns to anybody at this company? No. Why not? I think I was concerned for my job, right? Everybody is concerned for their job. Um, um, but I didn't. I didn't express any. You're white, but your husband's not. You're in an interracial marriage, right? Yes. And I want to be super clear. This isn't just one training. This was a um, sequence and series of, of trainings and communications. I felt um, silenced even after the election where it was an assumption when everyone showed up at work November of 2020, that everyone was excited about the results. Um, there were celebrations happening. The Biden election, yes. Biden versus Trump. Yes. And so everybody was, everybody at this company was extremely excited that Biden was elected. And my guess is they were, what were they doing? Wearing the t-shirts, passing out the cookies. Oh yeah, passing out the cookies, wearing the t-shirts. I'm sure you mentioned you had a cupcake party I yourself. Cupcake and party. all good. And 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 hey, a lot of people in this country. I didn't country, bring it to work. Right. A cupcake party. Right. A lot of people in our country certainly were were happy. It was quite presumptuous though to bring it into the work environment to assume everybody would be to wear the t-shirts. And did you vote for Biden in the 2020 election? I did not. So to you did you feel, would you have felt, this is a silly, I, I have to ask this question. I'm laughing as I ask it, but <laughs> would you have felt comfortable showing up in a mega hat? Of course not. <laughs> of course not. Of course not. And so the question is, should I feel free to do that? Of course I should. Do, do you think if this Fortune 100 company were in like Alabama or Mississippi that is it something about, in other words, my question is really, is it something about the company or is it something about the fact that you live in, you live and work within the city of Portland proper? Is that part of it? Or do you think you could have shown up to work at this company um, in a mega stronghold state <laughs> and it would have been um, de rigueur? It would it would have, it would have been a nothing burger. I don't know. That's a good question because Walmart is based in, um, I believe, Arkansas. Is that right? Well, I think Walmart's yeah, seen as, Walmart's as more a of company. a, yeah. it's a big company. I think it's seen as less woke. Yeah. Yeah. A little less woke. I don't know. I think that's a great question. I mean, living on the West Coast and certainly in progressive cities, it's, it's, you know, it, it's part of our culture here. So it's hard to really say that, but I do believe um, certainly left-leaning ideology becomes part of the culture more than just where you live. Please tell me if your perspective is different. My perspective is it began with Trump's election. I agree. Started in 2015. Yeah. And I remember my sister-in-law in Montana saying that there were Trump signs on the lawn of her kid's elementary school. And I, I just remember mm. being appalled by that and thinking that not mm. just because I didn't like Trump, but in schools and workplaces, whatever, there's got there's got to be a position of neutrality. But I don't think anybody in Montana was was mad about it. I mean, I, I what, what what's so interesting to me is as long as you're on as long as you're in the right geographical area, you can just squelch all out anybody who disagrees with you. I, I think on the right or the left. I think you're bringing up a really important topic. Um, people in Montana probably didn't scream about Trump signs in the elementary school for the same reason that 
Portland schools wouldn't scream about Biden signs right. or Black Lives Matter signs. It's 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 my belief, and I know you're probably more left leaning and I'm more right leaning. We got to get politics out of schools. We got to get politics out of organizations because what it is is it's manipulating children, it's guilting, it's shaming children, and it's 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 canceling those um, with dissent or who may disagree. And you know, I mean, what if in Montana there's a Biden voter, and we know there's a lot who show up and they see a Trump sign. That's not fair either. We, we have got to get politics out of schools. I think it's ruining our children. I think it's manipulating our children and it's ruining our schools. Um, so we either enable politics in schools and corporations and we enable it for everybody or we don't. Well, I grew up Republican. I've been right-leaning my entire life. I recently left the Republican party and registered as an independent. And I'm gonna tell you why I feel um, right now um, I'm not feeling energized by tribalism or titles. Um, I want to find things that we can bond over. I think that our country and our city, for sure, we're at a uh, we're at kind of a breaking point. We're, we're we're at a climax right now. Right now, we have we have created an environment that's so politically polarized. We're so busy fighting each other. It's MAGA's fault. It's the liberals' fault. It's you know, blaming our neighbors. We've got to get past cancel culture. We have to denounce censorship. So this is part of why I left the Republican Party, among many other reasons. I believe that right now we have one party who is creating policy that's actively eroding freedoms. Um, and, and that's and the Democrats. The Democrat Party, I believe, has been almost hijacked by the far left. Um, and then I believe that we have Republican collaborationists that are actively allowing it to happen. People like Mitt Romney continuing to spend ourselves into debt like drunken sailors that's going to harm our children in the future. So for me, it's it's actually both parties have have, um, you know, actively colluded to almost sell out our country, and so that's why to me I'm I'm less about partisan politics. I don't think we have time to fight. I think one thing that we have to clarify is when we talk about the First Amendment, the First Amendment really talks about government suppression of speech. I think Saki and and the Biden administration have been pretty careful about it, but they pussyfooted around, gotten cl pretty close to some of that when they say things like, hey, on these Rogan episodes, there should probably be misinformation labels. I mean, that was pretty close. But generally, a lot of the things that we complain about aren't really government suppression of speech. It's more like, why can't we? I mean, and that's what this podcast was born out of. Like, why are the only interesting conversations in Portland happening in backdoor barbecues and within homes and very, very, very quietly at restaurants or in offices where the doors are closed? Why aren't they, why aren't you allowed to say any of this and anything we've talked about so far? Why are you not allowed to say that? And um, why, why am I anonymous? Why are the only people who haven't been anonymous one of whom was run again, run out of Portland, canceled out of Portland, Nancy Rommelman. Uh, and we did her wrong. Um, and it, if anybody wants to find out more about that, go back to my podcast with her about that, because we really go through all the iterations in which Portland just completely did her wrong. And she has no animosity towards Portland, which is so interesting to me. She's such a glasses half full person. But um, and Eric Post, who doesn't live here, he lives like in Happy Valley. So um, he doesn't have to worry about people showing up at his door or, or getting canceled at work. He works for himself. I mean, I work for myself too, but 
Um, I have clients. He's more of like an investor kind of guy. So I don't, I don't really think he cares. And I think a lot of the people that he serves don't live in Portland. A lot of the people I serve live here. You don't have a job right now and you're anonymous. Right. Well, and, and the idea that you're, you're currently not beholden to anybody right now. And yet you're, you are anonymous. That's fair. Well, I mean, Hey, listen, I live in Portland. Says a lot. Right, Right. Right. This is, you know, and that's a great, that's a great point. That's a great point. And, and when you talk about sort of um, censorship, I just want to comment on your point about Joe Rogan. Think about Twitter, um, the accounts that have been banned, people who've been taken down from Twitter. Um, obviously, President Trump was, was suppressed. Um, Robert Malone, who had questions on vaccines, were suppressed. I think that we're entering into a very dangerous time where we're seeing collusion with big tech and the White House to ensure that the the narrative of the White House is out there and that there's no questions asked. I don't know if it's I it might be collusion. I don't know if it's it's collusion or if it just was always like that. I mean, Twitter Great point. before Biden was in office, Twitter kicked Trump off its platform. Right. So, I mean, we the Dems weren't in charge. Are you saying the I think it's everything we've been talking about. Are you saying the right things? Yes, yes. Are you saying the right things that aligns with the? It doesn't matter if you, if you donated yeah, to Biden. Are you saying yeah, the right thing? Yeah, yeah. yeah Is right, Robert are, Malone saying the right thing? No. no well, fuck no, him. He's not. Yeah. So fuck him. He's canceled. Is that what we want in our country? Well, of course I of don't. Of course think we so. don't. Of course we don't. Of course we don't. And 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 so to me, freedom of speech is on the line. And Portland is is an example of that. Well, I think the problem is that we don't have a lot of recourse because, um, freedom. Freedom of speech, literally in a constitutional sense, means the government is telling you you can't say things. And in this case, it's really about social um, and economic pressure to to keep you from saying what I think are interesting things, to, to keep you from saying what's on your mind. Is, is it even social pressure, too? It right. is for me. It's social pressure. And so let's talk about this. You and I talked about this before. So 2017, right after the election here in Portland, there was the Rose Parade. Um, there was a lot of floats in this parade. One of them was Multnomah County Republicans. Um, Ted Wheeler received death threats. And I think for our non-Portland listeners, we have to be clear that the Rose Parade is a long-standing tradition in Portland. It's a huge thing. It's, you know, it may not be the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade, but it's the closest thing <laughs> it's we have to parade. It. It's our Macy's Parade. It a million percent is. It a million percent is. And people get up at, you know, three o'clock in the morning to sit their lawn chairs out so they can see, get close enough to the floats. And there's a rose princess and every, every little girl aspires to be a rose princess. It's a, it's a huge deal. So but anyway, please continue. No, it, it, it is a big deal. And it's a long, long loving tradition. So in 2017, the Rose Parade was happening. And as you know, in any parade, there's floats and there's all kinds of different people and and organizations. And in 2017, the Multnomah County Republicans had a float. Um, Well, right before the parade, Ted Wheeler received emails and said, if if the Republicans are allowed in this parade, we're going to do something violent. So rather than, um, you know, either negotiating or, or legal discussions, he just canceled the parade. He not only canceled Republicans, he um, conceded the streets to, uh, you know, Portland rioters. Um, and then what that did, and, and maybe Democrats at the time were cheering, I don't know, like, oh, cool, we, we canceled Trump voters. Maybe that's how they cheered. But 
what happens is it eventually yeah, I don't, comes I don't around. It that way. Yeah, but um, it eventually comes around to everyone because first you cancel Republicans, then you cancel unvaccinated, then you cancel any mom who's pissed off about a mask mandate, and then all of a sudden everybody's canceled who doesn't agree. Who who was threatening Wheeler? Um, I think they were far left progressives. I'm not quite sure. Like Antifa people? I or? believe so. I okay. believe so. We'd have we'll to pull up kind of who it is. Um, but, you know, it really made it a, a not only just a Republican no-go city, but it also made it a city that anybody who disagreed. So as a Republican, how did you end up in Portland? <laughs> in like a city high rise, nonetheless. Like I, I have to find out how you ended up here. You know what? Like I, I've never allowed politics to dominate my social life or what I think. I've always loved the quirkiness of Portland, just like everybody else. I never felt unsafe here um, what, because quirk, politics what was never. Things did you like about it? Well, I mean, in the past, but now it's a little bit weird. But you know, in the past, I just loved that you could be yourself and anybody was welcome here. Um, and I've always loved that. I love everything that everyone else loves, the mountains and the oceans and everything to love about Portland. But it has unfortunately become so progressive that it's now regressive, where we're so tolerant that we only tolerate the ideas that we all agree with, right? Uh, are you a native? Uh, yes. Okay. And how many generations? Are you first generation Portlander? Gr grandfather was here. That's three. That's third. third. So I'm third generation. Yeah, I'm third too. Yeah. And so, you know, when you live here your whole life, your family and friends, your network is here. I've got this article from Washington Post. This is so interesting. It's from, so it made national news. April 27th, 2017, Portland Rose Parade canceled after anti-fascist, there it is, Antifa, anti-fascist threatened GOP marchers. For 10 years, the 82nd Avenue of Roses Business Association has kicked off the city of Portland's annual Rose Festival with a family-friendly parade meant to attract crowds to its diverse neighborhood. Set to march in the parade's 67th spot this year was the Multnomah County Republican Party, a fact that so outraged two self-described anti-fascist groups in the deep blue Oregon City that they pledged to protest and disrupt the April 29th event. Then came an anonymous and ominous email, according to parade organizers, that instructed them to cancel the GOP's group registration or else. You have seen how much power we have downtown and that the police cannot stop us from shutting down roads, so please consider your decision wisely, the anonymous email said, referring to the violent riots that hit Portland after the 2016 presidential election, reported the Oregonian. This is non-negotiable. The email said that 200 people would rush into the parade and drag and push those marching with the Republican Party. We will not give one inch to groups who espouse hatred towards LGBT, immigrants, people of color, or others, it said. Which I'm, so they're assuming that all Republicans hate. Do you, uh, do, Rosie, do you hate LGBTQ people? Of course not. Do you hate I immigrants? Of course not. Do you hate people of color like the one you're married to? Of course not. <laughs> it's, it's, it's asinine. I'm just continuing the article. So the business association buckled, announcing it would cancel the parade altogether. Following threats of violence during the parade by multiple groups planning to disrupt the event, 82nd Avenue of Roses Business Association can no longer guarantee the safety of our community have made the difficult decision to cancel the parade, the group said in a statement. The anti-fascist group's Oregon Students Empowered 
and Direct Action Alliance were behind the organized protest scheduled for the parade Saturday, but told the Oregonian they had nothing to do with the anonymous email. The petition to bring back the parade garnered nearly 200 signatures online, but on Wednesday, organizers stood firmly beside their decision. It's all about safety for our fans, first and foremost. If we can't provide safety to our fans, there's no use in trying. Rich Jarvis, spokesman for the Rose Festival Foundation, told the Oregonian, our official position is we're extremely sad about this. Online, others were outraged, calling members of the anti-fascist group who planned to protest snowflakes, etc. Shutting down free speech is the epitome of fascism. This is America. The free speech uproar in Portland reflects controversies across the country, particularly on college campuses. Um, in a statement, Direct Action Alliance said it was disappointed that the parade was canceled, but added that no Portland child will see a march in support of this fascist regime go unopposed. James Bucall, chairman of the Multnomah County Republican Party, said in a statement that his group wants the parade to continue. Uh, the bottom line is that Portland needs to choose between supporting terrorist thugs and protecting the average citizens who want to participate in their community. The Multnomah County Republican Party is not composed of Nazis and white supremacists, and those who think we would tolerate marching in a parade with folks carrying swastikas are delusional. I tend to agree with him. Well, you know what concerns me about this, Rosie, is this was written in the Washington Post April 27, 2017. That was long before our police were defunded. Mm-hmm. Um, where in the fuck... Were the police and people on the ground who are supposed to protect Portlanders saying, um, like, fuck these threats? I mean, we'll just put whatever. We'll put snipers on the roof of the building. Or I mean, there was no commentary in that article whatsoever about what whether we even considered um, taking steps towards securing the parade or the parade perimeter or whether we even what those steps might've been. Did they cost too much? I I don't, it it looks like we didn't even give that a second thought. And we, we, Portland has never had tons of police, but we certainly had more then than we have today. We didn't have the homicide crisis we have today. And we didn't have all the, we had riots because Trump had been elected, but we didn't have the same level that we have today. So we certainly had the resources if we wanted to. I mean, I think that was back when we even had the horse patrol, which is so good at, 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 controlling crowds yeah if they wanted to stop it they could right yeah, i think you're right i, I think, mean the I answer think... is they wanted to cancel they wanted to to make a statement that you know conservatives republicans not welcome right so so when mayor cancel when mayor wheeler cancels the parade that was a political decision right and and now it's just utter and complete chaos and that lawlessness in our speech. city yeah it's silent speech it's and silent speech under the guise of public safety yeah, yes you just summarized it that's exactly what it did you saw it earlier. I didn't see it earlier because I hadn't peeled away from, I didn't start peeling away from the local Democrats until 2016 when Charlie Hales allowed, just started allowing urban camping. And and just from my perspective as somebody with homeless family members, well, my dad's since passed away, but a homeless, now a homeless family member and previously a second homeless family member addicted to drugs and severely mentally ill, uh, I just was horrified. And I just remember thinking, I, there is out, this is out of control. I mean, there's, there, I can't get behind this. There's no way. I mean, I'm, I'm going to actively oppose this. Forget it. And it just sort of started with that. And then 
Um, I don't remember, I see, and I didn't even remember this 2017 thing. So obviously I didn't, it didn't really register with me. And then I think, um, it should have, it didn't. And then, and then I think, uh, when George Floyd happened and the city was being burnt to the ground and I was having to like go into work downtown every day and live here and, and live in this city with people marching up and down my streets as they probably did with yours, screaming out of your houses into the streets. And, um, I know you live in a building, but you know, banging on doors and people's walking, walking all, they'd walk all the way up to your door and bang on your door at nine o'clock at night. They didn't care if you had a baby or two year old or, and if you looked at them, like if you were holding your kid, like I remember, holding my kid and like looking out the window and one of them saying, sorry, we're just trying to save the world here. And I, I just remember thinking, please don't 19 year old like mansplain to me what you're, you're not doing shit. You're all right. Right. Wreaking havoc and making a mess. And you're actually making me like hate you and your cause, whatever. And I'm unclear about what your cause is. I mean, I guess you're against police brutality, but I don't know how you're going to solve that by right. walking up and down the street and disrupting everybody and you're scaring people. Like they scared right. everybody. Right, right. Um, and, the, and then I just started peeling away from all, then it was the COVID stuff. It was right. the masking. It was the failure to actually follow the science. It was the failure to listen to the science. It was the, um, it was this push for vaccinations, but it was so crazy to me how they did it. Like they, you know, Portland unrolled this vaccination project online, which does not seem in accordance with the way elderly people who are the most vulnerable work. And I don't know about, I don't know if you're vaccinated. You don't have to tell me if you are or not, but I, I'm vaccinated and boosted. And virtually every single time I had to drive about an hour to get it. And I had to drive my kids an hour to get theirs. <laughs> I mean, you would think if we really wanted to vaccinate people, as badly as we want them to camp and as badly as we want to, you know, shut the fuck up Republicans and cancel the Rose Parade and as badly as we want to support Black Lives Matter, we would like drive this thing door to door. Like, why not have it in the pediatrician's offices with the flu shot? None of it. It was so idiotic. And, and instead, the focus was on the fucking mask. I know. And there was no education about the mask. I know. That only recently started. Like, we, we've known for two years. Michael Osterholm was screaming from Biden's transition team saying, you need a fit-tested N95 mask, which, by the way, most medical professionals will admit are not suitable for the public because how do you fit-test? How does a person off the street fit-tested respirator? And most doctors that you talk to will say, anytime I get a chance, I pull that thing off my face because it is not sustainable to keep. And a lot of them will say, a lot of doctors will tell you, I don't put it on until and unless I'm dealing with a COVID patient because right. they are so uncomfortable and horrible to wear. Right. Uh, what I, are we doing? What are we doing? Well, here's my theory or, <laughs> or, or my point of view. I believe we are currently in an abusive relationship with our own government. And this is another reason I left the Republican Party and I'm an independent. Partisan politics, for me, are a distraction. We're in an abusive relationship with our government. So first, they, they canceled, shamed, mocked, and ridiculed Republicans starting in 2015 for the next five years. So Republicans were canceled. Um, okay, fine. Then they moved on to these horrific COVID measures where, to your point, um, forced masking for two years, even when the science no longer supported it. Well, it became first psych- we weren't supposed to mask. First Remember we weren't that. supposed to mask, and that was conveniently when there was no masks available. Then China opened up masks, and then all of a sudden we were supposed to mask. But the, the, the psychological abuse of masking, I am so fearful for our children. 
for the next generations of them being fearful, of them being obedient, not able to critically think or question the government. And then we went into the the forced um, you know vaccinations and medical treatments, which I know you're a feminist and you're pro-choice. I am pro-choice feminist too, to force people, not just force, but to coerce, threaten jobs versus jabs was was just shocking. So so really not to mention the crime that's that's um perpetuating in our city and across the nation. That's a war on the people. Again, back to being populism is like, hey, let's put partisan politics aside and just say, listen, what's best for the will of the people? We've got billionaires getting rich um, while small business is getting crushed. The COVID policies hurt the very people they proclaim to help. You know, I mean, people of color suffered, women suffered disproportionately. I think the tides are shifting a little bit and I, I'll, I want to be clear that I'm happy about that. I don't want to be seen as complaining I mean, I'm such a complainer, but I, I don't want to be seen as complaining no matter what. I, I, I am grateful that things are turning around, but there's a part of me that can't help but feel gaslit when I read David Leonhard from the New York Times talking about how he thinks that some of the COVID mitigations by the blue states may have helped, but that they're the net of those mitigation policies was negative. Of course. That, that it was bad. Of course. And, and I it, wanted to throw my phone across the room when somebody sent that to me. And I should have, I should have, there was part of me that was engaging in like some kind of cognitive behavioral therapy self-talk with myself or like a Socratic discussion with myself where I was like, well, what's, what's wrong with you? You know, why aren't you happy? But isn't this what you wanted? Why aren't you happy with this? People are seeing it the way you see it. And, and now the New York times is finally vocalizing it the way you've seen it all along. And instead I just felt mad and gaslit and like, um, it, it's almost like it, some people are making it sound like they've believed this all along with us, which is complete and utter bullshit given like the Twitter cancellations, the amount of, of friends that we've all lost. Of course. Of course. Um, the, the, the jobs that people have lost, the jobs that people have quit, uh, Jennifer say having to leave Levi's cause she wanted the fucking schools open people, people leaving their cities and everything behind fleeing to a free state. Of course you were pissed off. And now we of have, of course you're pissed off. David Leonhard from the New York times saying all of that was, is, is correct. And, and Jennifer say no longer has a job and, and you no right, longer right, have right, a job. Right, and right. I had kids out of school for, I mean, fortunately, I found I found a private school that was open. But, you know, these kids in Portland had their kids out of school for close to two years, yeah. um, certainly a year and change. And I they're trying to, to unwind. What end? I, and, and even yeah. and even the dominant blue state narrative, the narrative that, that blue states rely on to tell them what to do, the, the New York Times pages, for instance, of which I'm still a I'm still a subscribing member paying a mint to read which is how I ended up reading it I you know I think I just felt crazy I mean I I just felt really frustrated like well I mean if David Leonhardt's saying this now why am I anonymous on this podcast well basically they're shaming mocking and ridiculing ridiculing you for an opinion you had 
12 months ago, 18 months ago, anybody who asked or dared to question COVID policies was canceled. And now all of a sudden they're saying, oh, maybe masks don't work that well. Oh, maybe school closures negatively impacted children. People lost their jobs and their friends over questioning that. I mean, well, and some Republicans- Well, permanently fucked up. No kidding. I mean, I'm not going to lie. Summer 2020, I was around Portland telling my in-laws, kids should be in school. And they're like, oh, you're just MAGA, you're Trumper. And I'm like, no, actually, I just think kids should be in school. They're not dying of this, right? But you know, you, you, you couldn't say it. You couldn't question any of this. And so now they come back and they pet us on the head like we're little- puppies and say, oh, it's all going to be okay. No, our children have lost years of development. Business owners have lost everything. People have lost so much while the billionaires have transferred millions of wealth to themselves. It is infuriating. And this is something we can all, I believe, this is a bipartisan issue we can get behind. Well, it must be because if David Lionheart is saying schools should have been open and if people like, um, if he said schools should have been open in 2020, what would he have been called? Fall of 2020. Well, I mean, you know why they were shut down. I don't think Dean Baquet would have allowed him to write that. Of course not. Because everything in the fall of 2020 was about the resistance to Trump. That's why schools were shut down. So every, every left-leaning mother should be outraged that their children were kept out of school purely for political reasons, to, see, to activate a resistance to Trump. It, it is so upsetting, right? What's so interesting to me is like, um, so as you saw, all those blue, nutty blue states dropped their mask mandates right before the State of the Union so that Biden... <laughs> and we're supposed to believe it was a coincidence. Right. So that Biden could get... Well, you saw the memo that Julie Hamill passed around, right? The, the Democrat, oh, from the polling firm, you better get... Yeah. Yeah, and then all of a sudden, Kate Brown moves it up a week. Yeah, right, exactly. right. That said, that. You, you need to abandon these mandates so that the president can get on stage and declare... We're on, we're on COVID mission. But it's over. Yeah, yeah, but it's over. And, and as he did. But what was so interesting is he talked about open schools and he was part of the reason that they were closed for so long because Rochelle Walensky came out and said, like February 2021, said, well, now that we have vaccines, I think we can open the schools. And then his administration and the teachers union picked her up by the scruff of the neck and said, absolutely not. You need to shut the hell up. And Jen Psaki saying, well, she was speaking in her personal capacity. We're not really doing that right now. And I mean, this is part of why I feel so gaslit. Like I should be happy that everybody's finally come around to our position, but instead I just feel angry and gaslit because for, again, the wake of the past, yes. the yes. damage that has been done in the past two years. And now they're they're coming around, but there's no apologies. There's no apology. And we don't even know the long-term damage that this will do. We have no idea how much damage this will do. Oh, I do. think we can imagine. It's it's terrifying, especially for the children. Oh, I I, I think we can totally. I, I mean, I have like special needs kids who oh are in God. speech therapy. I think, I mean, I, I've seen it. I, I can, and they're and they've nothing. Been I have resources. And they've been masked with speech therapy. Well, and there's they they're still being a lot of them are still being masked with speech therapy. It's abusive. Every single policy related to COVID was abusive. The masking and the psychological damage of children, putting children on the front line, making them feel responsible to save grandma, completely damaging and irresponsible. The shutting down of the nursing homes so that elderly people were dying alone. They should have had the choice on that. The the shutting down of businesses and people's livelihoods. I mean, I have just never seen a more outrageous time period in our history. Where's the apology? And Biden triumphantly saying most schools are open. I, I, I was just like, no thanks to you. 
and no thing. I mean, he will never apologize. Of course, for he what, won't to collusion with the teachers' union in making them no. the most powerful entity in the world. He or was big pharma, literally wrapped around their finger. Of course. Um, well, I think the big part of the big pharma stuff that was Trump. I mean, he yeah, he did. No, that's that true. Operation Warp Speed was Trump. I, I think that and was I a mistake. I don't fault him for that. No, I, I, I know. I, I I'm I'm I kind of differ from you in that. I yeah. don't. I'm fine with the vaccines. Like yeah, I'm happy yeah. for the vaccine and I think vaccines probably saved a lot of old people. So I'm, yeah. I think frankly, if, if I think frankly, that was one of Trump's biggest triumphs that what's hilarious is neither the right nor the left wants to acknowledge. <laughs> That's a great point. <laughs> it's like, wait, who delivered the vaccines? Well, and it was so funny how that happened because <laughs> Think about it. When he was running, so in the fall of 2020, he's up there like, I've got the vaccines. I've got the vaccines. And Kamala's like, I wouldn't touch your vaccine. I I wouldn't touch that shit. Then they unwind it. Suddenly it's take the vaccine on the left. And then the right's like, I'm scared of the vaccine. So I sometimes wonder if Trump were in office today, what would the vaccine acceptance rate be like? (laughs) I'm not shitting you. I think about this and I want to ask a Republican. I don't know. I ask myself that. Anyway, that's a whole other topic. Well, he's but of course, vaccinated. I mean, or so look, he says. All the prime, I don't know if I believe the prom- prominent. Well, I don't either. He's a liar. But yes. all the prominent, pol- they're all liars. But all the prominent politicians, you know, are vaccinated. Like DeSantis is vaccinated. Abbott's vaccinated. All these guys are vaccinated. I'm sorry, they are. And regardless of whether you think the vaccine is some kind of hoax perpetuated on you by the government, those guys are vaccinated. And yeah. I, I, my, I am. I bet Trump is too. It was his vaccine. Yeah, why no, why true. didn't that's he want to congratulate himself yeah. by getting his vaccine? I know. And, and being one of the first in line to get it. And he's such a narcissist and he loves that he oh, delivered it. Of course. Uh, yeah. Yeah. But, but, but yet he doesn't like, he, he doesn't even really talk about it anymore. And the weirdest thing is he and the, the Republicans, I feel like have completely fucked up by allowing Biden to take credit for the vaccine. And the weirdest thing is now that they've allowed him to do that, the left refuses to, they have memory hold Operation Warp Speed. So I want to dig into some of the other stuff that was going on at your company. Like you had the list of things that you couldn't say. I just want to reiterate, like you're a socially liberal person. You're a feminist. You're pro-choice. You are in inter- interracial marriage. I mean, I to me, some of the stuff that stood out like from your list of things you couldn't say you couldn't say were things like circle the wagons. Right. Couldn't say circle the wagons. Couldn't say tribal knowledge. Couldn't say whitelist, blacklist. Hey, you guys. Just, you know, all that. But I also have just really started to question um, the intentions of corporate culture. And I think I mentioned this earlier, but things like all this diversity training. Well, um, you know, are we really promoting um the diverse individuals that we say we're promoting, or are we just saying this for happy talk? No, we're not. I have to know about the fat shaming during the pandemic because I most of us know, but I think it's important to reiterate, the number one risk factor for COVID is age. Number two is weight. Yes. And did anybody ever come out, a government official, Fauci, and say, hey, Americans, y'all better lose some weight? No one ever said that. <laughs> You're not allowed to say You're that. You're not allowed Somebody to say it because say. suddenly, yeah. And Trump certainly wasn't going to say it. And he it. wasn't going to say it either. He's heavy that too. That would have meant cutting back on the Big Macs. And exactly. The, and, and the Cokes that he drinks the Cokes. <laughs> so not one person ever walked to the White House lawn and said, listen, Americans, y'all better lose some weight. Go for a walk. Get some sunlight and some vitamin D. No one ever did that. 
I don't know what the call to action was. I think it was just kind of an email of like awareness and how we treat people. So it was just an odd email. And I felt like it was trying to rationalize and justify obesity in our country. We have an obesity problem. The number one cause of death in our country is heart disease still, right? Like yeah, not this COVID. Is, yeah, not COVID. It's crazy. So I, I, I don't know. The wokeness is just, I feel like wokeness is becoming- And obesity contributes to COVID. So if you want to focus on COVID- Again, we still have to talk about obesity. We have to talk about obesity. It's a problem in our country. That's probably why we had some of the worst numbers on the planet. Well, right. Do you agree? Well, it's so funny because people talk about um, Sweden did so great. And a, co- <laughs> a caveat I always have to put on that is, well, okay. I mean, a couple caveats. One is they didn't do the best with their elderly. Um, but it was just kind of a live and let live with everybody. But I mean, I think we have to acknowledge that like, those of us who aren't COVIDians, i.e., you know, people who cling to COVID like it's their religion and COVID rest- nonsensical, unscientific COVID restrictions as if it's their religion and you can never change their mind. I think we have to acknowledge that, like, Sweden did great in part because, um, well, a lot of the old died, but like the young, okay, they're young and they're thin. Exactly. And isn't Sweden kind of like the progressives wet dream? Yeah. I'm just asking. Yeah. But that's so I mean, so I that's think, the thing. And then Republicans were like, well, wait, Sweden's not locked down. They're doing great. Like suddenly. Right. It's right. Just, and I was also kind of like, OK, yeah, they're not locked down and they're doing great. But a lot of their old people are dying and they're thin. And so, they're thin. Like, I mean, okay, United and I'm States. not saying we should lock down. But like, I think the and I'm I know I'm I'm going to be at odds with a lot of the listeners here. But I will say based on the data that I've read. And I'm not, of course, I'm not an epidemiologist or anything, but I do think, and and the Swedes were happy to take the vaccination because they trust their government and they basically do what the government says, but, and we don't, we're very distrustful of the government. Um, but I, I, I do think, um, that you can kind, you, you have to do it in a little nuanced way. Like, yeah, Sweden's doing great and they didn't lock down, but, uh, we should probably take more care of our elderly because rage is age is the biggest risk factor. Forget about the toddlers, forget about the kids, let them go to school, take off their masks that don't work anyway. We probably don't need to, you know, be obsessed with vaccinating these kids. Right. If they're not immunocompromised, if if they're not immunocompromised, if they don't have, you know, um, if they don't have cancer, if they don't have some kind of lung disease, like maybe we don't talk about vaccinating them. Maybe we talk about vaccinating the old people and we talk to our citizens about obesity and losing weight and weight loss measures because Sweden's doing great because they're th- like, it was this weird convergence of pol- the politicization of COVID here in America. Cause it was like, everybody on the right was like, Hey, they didn't lock down. And yeah. I-, I-, I was thinking like, um, from the perspective, of like both sides, it was like, okay, yeah, they didn't lock down. Um, which is great, I think. But on the other hand, they're thin. So, I mean, the left won't allow us to talk about obesity. So it's hard to like not engage in any measures whatsoever and right. in this country because we're so fat. Well, of, of course. And so that's why we had a disproportionate <laughs> death rate. Even when you look across the states, people say, oh, well, Oregon had a mask mandate. That's why we less people no, died. No, it's because we're thinner. We're thinner. I mean, if you want to compare our numbers to Texas or Alabama, yes. I mean, unfortunately, they're there's fat. a- they're, they're larger people and they have an older population. So, so we never had a risk stratification, right? We always had this universal policy. And I kept waiting for the science, for us to react to the I science. Know. Once we knew that 0% of children were dying, we should have opened schools. Once we knew that, you know, younger people weren't at risk, 
we should have opened our businesses. Well, and I don't know if but it they was never zero, but it was, did that. It was, I think, my understanding is it's... For the age of 19, it was healthy, like... Healthy, healthy. Yeah, he- healthy, healthy. It's, 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 you have a bigger chance of dying of an accident or the flu for as a sure, child. For, for sure. sure. Or but, drug or, or a drug, okay. For a kid under five. For a kid under five. Exactly. But like, so in the fall of 2020, a bunch of doctors signed this thing called the Barrington Declaration, right? right. right? Where they basically said, hey, let's like have policies that align with who's really at risk. The old folks can protect, everyone else live your life. Nobody responded to that. Right. It wasn't profitable. It, 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 it was absolutely shameful. And then they blocked treatments. They blocked other opportunities for people. It's, it's crazy. Nobody talked about vitamin D. Oh, no. No, 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 There's studies about hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin. They're still debatable, for sure. But when have you ever been sick and gone to the doctor and someone said, we have nothing for you, we're not even going to try anything? Kate Brown actively blocked those treatments. That, that, that's murder, in my opinion. It's murder. Why would we not try something that's low risk on people to help them save their lives? It's, it's, it's the crime of the century. It, we've politicized We've politicized it, it way too much. And, and, and blue states generally took whatever approach was the opposite to Trump and people suffered and it wasn't fair. It was unfortunate. Why, why are we politicizing healthcare? Why are we politicizing healthcare? Everyone deserves the right to reserve, you know, to understand pros and cons of any health treatment. We've never talked about this. To me, the, the politicization of COVID started when Trump with, with no reason given whatsoever ignored and believe me i i'm no fan of the cdc okay i'm sitting here today i'm not but let's rewind back to the beginning of the pandemic when we i think most of us were fans of the cdc we saw it as a apolitical organization i think we We see it as it is now we see it as a compromised political organization but the time when the directive was put on a mask and trump refused to put on the mask with no explanation whatsoever that Said in, that was when it, things clicked with me. And I was like, this is becoming political. He, he's politicizing this. And we walk, Oregon walked right into the trap. All these crazy ass blue states walked right into the trap. And then we politicized uh, COVID in response to that. And so we were almost like, well, if you're going to deny science, we're going to double down on denying science and we're going to put on a cloth mask to walk our dog alone outside. Oh, my God. And people are still driving in a car (laughs) in a mask. Oh, the masking. Yes. So politicized. Trump didn't put one on. And so immediately everybody on the left had to put a mask on and shame him. No matter what. No matter what it says. Well, that's why I kept saying if Oregon, if Oregonians all put on MAGA masks and went to school the mandate would be lifted here. I mean, it would just be lifted. If everybody in the United right. States was wearing right. a, like it would just because be lifted. Because it's the opposite. Because it's the opposite. And, and so, but at it what? It has nothing to do with at science. At what extent? Yeah, but at what price, right? Oh, that's, huge. That's, that's the. In every way, in, in, societally, educationally, businesses losing their livelihood, people losing their jobs and their homes and, oh. and um, th- this, the, these generations of idiots that we're now raising the, that have lost all the school time, particularly the special, these poor special needs kids who could have been caught up by now, but instead have been left even further behind the minorities that we care so much, we profess to care so much about that were so completely slammed and ruined by these lockdowns, these educational closures. Um, on really on both sides, yep. it's just been absolute 
politicization of a disease that we really should have been able to all come together and look at the science together and discuss in a the way you and I are as right. people from diametrically, well, maybe not diametrically opposed because you're a Portland, um, I know you're an independent now, but a Portland Just, Trump yeah. voter. But you I live agree. in Portland. Right. We were never. So we if were, you were true mega, you would have self-selected and you would not be living Possibly. Here. You're probably right. You're probably <laughs> right. But we were never allowed to debate the science because debate was canceled. Debate was canceled. We were never allowed to debate the mask. It was just Trump's not wearing one. We're going to wear one. The end. Let's shame, mock, and ridicule anybody doesn't wear a mask. I, we were never able to 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 debate it, right? I mean, there's even emails from Fauci in February of 2020 saying a mask isn't going to do shit for you, right? There's emails out right. there with him. So there, there's been such confusion and gaslighting, and um, it's the lack of debate, right? That that that's been the 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 sob story of all of this. Do you agree? The lack of debate. Well, just the lack of cur- I, I don't or know curiosity. Debate right. is hard because. Um, now it's I, I see it as impossible. I, I I see because of the Covidians and and frankly from from both sides of the aisle because right. because that's their religion now. I'm not taking the vaccine. The vaccine yeah. the vaccine is you know Bill Gates is trying to put it in me and I'm not going to take it. Um, versus and the, and a lot of those are mega people, which is so weird to me. Like I'm like your president is the one who unfurled the vaccine. I know the vaccine is an interesting debate. And when they talk about the stimulus, I'm like. Your president started those checks. In fact, yeah. he signed them all himself proudly. So yeah, he did. Um, it's just bizarre to me that suddenly they're like Biden owns all that now. And he has gladly picked that up and run with it. And it's just caused further divide. So I um it's it's I don't really think we can debate each other. Like I can't sit down with uh somebody who thinks that there there's um microchips or some Bill Gates conspiracy behind the vaccine and, and, and rationally debate them any more than I could sit down across from somebody who, who is wearing a cloth mask in front of a microphone sitting across from me. I just couldn't do it. I mean, we wouldn't have a debate. It's then it's a religion and then you're Mormon and I'm sitting here trying to tell you that God does it. I'm Christopher Hitchens and that's not a productive debate. No, it's not. And and let's talk about religion because I think you're opening up something that is super interesting and very worrisome. The the religion of COVIDism or Fauciism, right? Um, religious people believe something without proof of science, right? You believe in God because you believe in God for right. whatever reason. That, that's where I'm fearful with this COVID stuff is oh, now people are believing um, Fauci oh, yeah. or the media without any necessarily data or debate to support it. And so are we delving into scientism? Like, is, 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 is that what we're, you know, devolving to? I think it's actually really concerning that people are, uh, we're coming to the point where people are, are, are looking at the media, like headline culture, outrage culture, where people are sort of just absorbing something, not necessarily thinking it through, debating in their mind, considering another perspective. And it's, it's, it's like, it's scientism. Do you think that's concerning? Uh, define scientism. Scientism, um, Fauciism. Fauci says wear a mask, nod my head, wear a mask. Fauci says shut down schools, nod my head, shut down schools. I guess I don't like Fauci the term says, because I don't think, so I listen, I'm I'm the, a huge fan of this longevity doc, Peter Atia, who has a podcast called The Drive. And oh, he's I need a, to listen to that. He's yeah. just great. He's a Hopkins trained 
surgeon. He went to Stanford Medical School. He did his residency at Hopkins. He's just world class. And he, he, he has left his surgical practice to focus on longevity. And he just basically works for like super duper rich, high net worth clients. And they're all kind of his guinea pigs to learn how to, um, and his own body's a guinea pig to learn how to live longer. And he says, what he he he's talked a little bit about COVID and everything he says I 100% agree with. But like one of the things that he said is um, he wishes that like Fauci he, uh, he talked about Fauci for a while with a guest recently and the the um, what's interesting about Fauci and his background and I apparently he's a very he's a pretty smart pretty nice guy um, and during the AIDS crisis. He apparently handled it very well and kind of navigated the country through the AIDS crisis. He was kind of at the helm of that. And I, I was too young to remember the name of the guy who was at that. But apparently that's, that was him. And his job as a, um, according to uh, the doc, this doctor that was on Dr. Atia's podcast and Dr. Atia and a lot of the other doctors I've talked to uh, say that Fauci's job as um, – the public health guru is to be overly conservative. And I guess as a trial lawyer, I kind of understand that because if I have a client across from me, I'm going to be um, just because of, I, I, I want to keep their expectations in check. Um, I want to make sure they uh, understand all their options. And usually I'm going to be overly conservative about how much it's going to cost, what their odds are, and um, the worst thing that could happen to them. So if they're sitting across from me, I might say, I might um, add 25 or even 50% to the bill. And I might say, not, not to the final bill, but just when I'm talking to them, I might say, it will cost, it could cost you upwards of this much money and um, you could lose and you could pay their attorney fees and their attorney fees could be, and I might add 50% onto that. Because it, and in reality, a lot of the time, all of that comes true. but. If I'm just sitting around with some friends, it might be, I might say it'll probably be less than that, but I'm going to, I'm going to be real conservative because I want to keep expectations in check and I want to, um, I want everybody to understand the gravity of the situation. And my understanding is that is how Fauci, um, has been either trained or has decided to proceed as the, the quote unquote minister of public health is to, um, decide what the public should, what he thinks based on his medical judgment, the public should do as a whole, speaking to the public as a whole and, um, not necessarily database, like really more like I've looked at the data and as the public health guru, here's what I think the general public should do. Not looking at, at, at the individual, no nuanced conversation whatsoever, because you can't have a nuanced conversation in that context. And say saying, um, I don't care about the data. Here's what I want you as the public to do. And speaking from a public health perspective, as opposed to, and Atia was saying, God, I wish he, I wish he could wear two hats. Like I wish he could say, I'm putting my hat on as the public health guru right now, and I'm telling you to wear a cloth mask. And then Atia was saying, Wouldn't it be great if he could take that hat off and he could say, Now, I'm going to speak to you as a doctor, and I'm going to tell you how I understand the data. I don't know that the cloth mask does much of a difference. I, right. I don't know that it does make much of a difference. It might make no difference. I, I don't think we know. And, and, 
And, well, we've never done any randomized controlled trials. No, I mean, and you I, never had a debate on it, right? That, that's right. right. And But see, like Atia was saying, I bet if you injected him with true serum, he he could take that hat off. And if, and if this country could have nuanced conversations, which maybe it can't, I don't know, but we've never tried it. Right. But what if he took that hat? What, what, what if, what if we did try it and it was able to restore our confidence in public health because he could take that hat off and say, now I'm going to take my public health guru hat off and I'm going to tell you what I know about the data. Here's what I know. I don't know that a cloth mask does anything for you. I don't know that a surgical mask does anything for you. I don't know that if you wore an N95, it would work for you because generally those have to be fit tested and you have to be trained in how to wear them. And most doctors that I know, I don't treat COVID patients. I mean, if he could have been honest about that too, if, you know, I think people were walking around thinking he was treating COVID patients. Yeah, has he ever treated a COVID patient? I don't think so. And I I think he could say, I don't treat COVID patients, but the doctors I've talked to who do, they put on not a KN95, they put on a very expensive N95 that can only be used for a certain amount of time that they have been trained to wear. And the data tells me and them that that provides them with the optimal protection for the mask or or with the vaccines. If he could have said, hey, I don't know that they help you with transmission, but I think they help keep you out of the hospital. I've been looking at the data that's what that's what I see. I don't know that it helps with transmission, and I don't know that kids should. I don't know that kids either way. I mean, if they're immunocompromised, sure, maybe. It, you know, if he could just put that hat on, and then if he could put the public health hat back on when he's, you know, got the CDC stuff in the background or whatever, and if if he could put the health public health hat back on and say, now, all of that said, here's what I want you to do. Yeah. I want you to put on a fucking cloth mask or a surgical mask or this or that, because I, those are the most conservative measures I can think of. And not everybody's going to take a vaccine and the vaccine's not going to be widely available to everybody for a while. Right. right. And so just please just fucking do this. Cause we got to do something. We got to throw some spaghetti against the refrigerator. I don't care if it works or not. I'm just telling you to do it. If he had just done that. And I don't know, again, I, I with the caveat, I don't know that he could have done that. And if he had done that, that could have further eroded public trust and public health. But for me, as a data gathering person, I think it would have really helped me and it would have made me feel like I wasn't lied to when he said, no, 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 now put the mask on. Or it would have made me feel like I wasn't lied to when the CDC shaped their guidance via input from the teachers' unions. Well, that's just it. It's it's it started to become so compromised. Fauci never walked out on the White House lawn or sat on CNN and said, "Here's the data of why you should no, wear a mask." He didn't. Instead, it came across as shame, mock, ridicule through the media, through social media. Let's all well, shame each other and bully our neighbor. And, and he anticipated. And to me, Fauci is sort of like the OHA. Like their job isn't just to battle COVID. Their job is overall public health. Well, yeah. Under what Fauci's about weight? Well, exactly. Under Fauci's watch, he's been there since, what, 85? He's the highest paid person in D.C.? Forever. Look at our country. We're fatter. We're sicker. So is public health getting better or worse under Fauci? I don't have the data in front of me. I would say at a high level, I think health is getting worse under Fauci. So Fauci, to me, has failed the American people. opioids. Drugs, opioids. We haven't even tackled that. That's a whole other topic here, especially in Oregon. Um, And, you know, same with the OHA. The OHA is, is, is pounding their chest like they beat COVID. Deaths were... We recorded record deaths last year in Oregon, record deaths. And only 50% of those deaths are attributed to COVID. Why? 
because of lockdowns, because of psychological damage, you know, fentanyl use. I mean, these are all concerning things that I don't see our public health agencies even daring to tackle. So we, we just have a very sick, unhealthy population. I, I have huge distrust in our public agencies, unfortunately. Sounds like you've yeah, um, no, I do too. lost a little bit of trust too. And, and, and so it's, it's been very disappointing and concerning, quite honestly. So, Going back to that. politics and schools for a minute, yeah. you were saying they should be kept out of schools. What what about this? Like schools have to study, I think, to be a good citizen, you have mm. to, and I, they don't teach civics anymore. I I think you need to study civics and I think you yep. need to study politics. I, I just think it's important. Even yep. when you're relatively small, like you should learn about the president and you should learn about the branches of government and you should learn about like who your current president is and where, right. where did they come from and and uh, wh- how did they get to the position that they're in kind of a thing. I mean, I think that's all um, important. What what if we what what if we were um, could bring politics into school? Um, and, and I don't know that this is a government thing, but it just seems like soci- in society, I wish we could agree that let's bring politics into school, but let's do it in a balanced balanced way. Right. So that like, if we're the elementary school in Montana that has all the Trump signs in the yard, let's be mindful that of what we just did and throw a bunch of Biden signs on the other side of the lawn. Or like, um, if, if we're a woke corporation and we're throwing in election party, um, because Biden won, let's be mindful that we might have some employees who voted for Trump and, um, allow them to the space. I I'm not saying put a microphone in front of their face, but like allow them the space to express their disappointment and maybe even like send out an email or give a speech as the head of a company and say, your, some of your colleagues may not be feeling so great today. And, um, Please like give them some space and some respect. I, I totally agree with you. Tell me why you voted. Did you vote for Trump twice? Tell me why you voted for Trump. I did. Um, first time, I would say hesitantly. Second time, confidently. I voted for him um, largely for economic policies. Border security. So the, the, the reason the United States is a nation um, is because we protect a set of values, right? It's just the same. It's it's the same reason that we're not Canada, we're not Mexico. Every single nation has its own constitution, its own values. We love and respect each other, but we have our own borders. Um, by, by securing the border, um, and, and, and I want to be very as anti-racist as possible, when floods of illegal, illegal immigrants come in, like is happening right now, I think three million, um, what it does is it drives down the value of wages. So then hourly work, workers, rural workers, black and brown community, they're competing with illegal wa- uh, labor or jobs. So that drives down um, real wages. That has real economic impact. And I think that's why we saw Hispanics on the border trending towards Trump was because of the border. So that was one thing that was important to me. Um, the second was energy independence, and we're seeing that right now. Trump, for the first time in 70 years, we were exporting more energy. Um, he worked to bring manufacturing back. Um, that drove real wages. Um, so so for me, it was really those economic things. And, and, and I care deeply about the middle class in rural America. We've been under Bush. I mean, I, I, I'm not a Bush Republican anymore. I will say that. Under Bush and Obama, and, and we've been just exporting jobs. And now we need to have some level of globalism. Um, I'm a business person. I certainly understand that. We need to have some level of globalism, but I don't want to be so to the point where we're dependent on other countries. I think that's what Trump did is, I'll, I'll sum it up. I mean, his, his America first policies are, are why I voted for him. 
because I know you're going to want to poke holes and ask questions or, or just, well, like, just ask questions because questions. you probably never talked to a Trump voter. And so we should certainly talk about it. Well, I, I've talked to, um, so I've talked to Trump voters on the podcast. I talked to Sarah, who was a um, Trump voter in her 20s. Um, yeah, I loved that podcast. She was sweet. She was great. And I, and I have family and I have a couple friends who voted for Trump and I understand I understand why they voted for Trump and actually I understand a lot you know I read JD Vance's book I understand it is a good book I understand a lot of why people voted for Trump only because I was so blown away by his election that I kind of like dedicated I, I almost made a hobby out of reading about why people voted for him because I had a conversation on New Year's after he was elected with a then friend who's no longer a friend because, um, you know, really the the last two years, no longer really a friend. But I I had a conversation with her and she said, um, she just said, I, I, you know, this, this country's full of idiots. And I said, I think that's really dismissive. And I, I mean, I don't like Trump. I didn't vote for Trump. I'm I'm like super upset that he won, but that's not it. I, I I'm not willing to just say, oh, everybody's a dummy and and that's why they voted for him. And so I that and and her saying that made me feel um just like prickly. And it, even as I'm talking about it, like my shoulders are reaching my ears and I'm closing my eyes and just kind of cringing because I knew it was wrong and I knew that there was when they did that Saturday Night Live skit about all the people in their liberal bubble watching the election results roll in, that was me. That was me. That was me drinking to the Latinos and waiting for the for the Florida results to come in. And then the Florida results came in for Trump. Right. And it was just I was actually working at the time um, late and I was on a very long conference call with an important client and we were in the middle of we might've been in the middle of trial. I mean, it was like, there was no way I could pay attention to election results in real time. And my husband was like, and my friend, all my friends were like texting me, like he's going to win. Oh my God, he's going yeah, to win. We're shocked. And I had bought like all the cookies and the sparkling cider for my kids. And I'm like, Oh my God, girls, we're going to have the first. I mean, and they were so excited. Like we're going to have the first female president. Cause they were so confused by the fact that a woman had never been president as am I, frankly. Um, and Hillary Clinton was, she is part of the reason I became a lawyer. Like she just, yeah, I, I always that. looked up to her. I, I thought it was so amazing that we had somebody in the White House who had a career, who had a, who had a graduate degree and actually had used it. Um, and it, it wasn't just like a, a, a trophy degree. It was, she, she had, she had actually become a partner in a law firm at a time when like Women were not partners. I mean, they're right, still not. Right. And they definitely weren't then. Partners she was certainly aspirational, of course. Oh, of course. I mean, I, I just, I loved everything about her. And and I loved Bill Clinton. I just, during when I was coming of age in high school during that area, era, I just remember thinking, um, it wouldn't it be so amazing for like the arc of my following politics in my life for her to be the first female president? And then when she wasn't, I, I felt... Very crushed. Probably devastated. Well, I was, but I, I also just didn't. um, Like my nanny voted for Trump, and I. Oh really? She's a cutie patootie, like twenty something, and I just remember thinking, "There's something that I do not understand." Is she, um, your nanny here in Portland? Yes, and I remember thinking, "Is she diverse?" "Mm, Yes, she is. 
uh, a sprinkling of Hispanic and a sprinkling of Native American, but um, I think she would say not enough to not um, be ensconced in white culture. Do you know what I mean by that? Yeah, yeah. So I don't think, like, she's not Native American in the sense that, like, they engage in rituals or... It's, it's like, so far back, it's more like, I'm Native American. And then the Hispanic is the same thing. It's something like mom's great grandma was Mexican. Do you know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, I do. Um, so, but, but I just remember thinking, I remember being blown away and I remember her looking at me, the way she was looking at me, I'll never forget it. She was looking at me like, you old, out of touch, buddy-duddy. You're just like Hillary Clinton. I, she didn't say that, of course, because I'm her you boss. Felt, but like, felt it. That, I was, she was looking at me in that way. And so, suddenly all the... Like, I just kind of lost my breath for a minute. I felt like I'd been punched in the stomach and I thought, I am living here in Portland um, at my age, with my education level and the people that I'm surrounding myself with necessarily because of because of Portland and because, as Nancy Rommelman says, it's hermetic and it's not an international mm-hmm. city and it's certainly not a diverse city in any uh, sense no, of the word. Anything but that. Right. And because of that, I was the people in the Saturday Night Live skit who were like, just knew Hillary was going to win and were so out of fucking touch with what was going on in the country. And then, and then I just became obsessed with like, I made it a hobby to listen and to read every story. I, that's part of why I read J.D. Vance's book. I listened to, I, re, I, I watched all the PBS documentaries about Trump, Trump being, being elected, who voted for him. Um, I, it, it started to make more sense to me that I needed to learn about this because I was, such an Obama fan. And, and as they were, were reporting, obviously a lot of people who voted for Obama ended up voting for Trump. Hundreds of counties, right? Hundreds of counties. And, why is and that? so when they started to say Trump voters are all racist, if you start diving into the counties that swung, it's like, wait a minute, these are Obama voters who then decided to vote for right. Trump. So I think you, you just said, it actually almost makes me emotional. You just said something so powerful, which is that after he was elected, um, you were surprised and obviously crushed, but you felt you needed to understand why. Why did 60 million Americans vote for him? And instead of just saying, shame, mock, ridicule those white trash people, you did some work to try to understand. Doesn't mean you agree. Well, in fact, I you and I knew. probably disagree on everything, but the fact that you did some level of work shows you're worldly, you're curious, you're an attorney, so you can certainly debate both sides of the issue. Um, and I just wish more Americans on both sides of the aisle could seek to understand. Doesn't mean you're ever going to vote for that person or change it. But like you know, on, the, on the coast, we've, we're just, you know, we work in tech or we have homes and we have these wonderful lives. But like, do we understand what's really happening in rural America? So anyways, I just wanted to commend you for doing that work because that's not easy. And that was coming from a curious place. And I just, I'd love to hear you say that. It actually makes me a little emotional. Well, thank you. I- for sure curious and also just I just wanted to understand because I felt stupid and I hate feeling stupid I felt uninformed and I felt uh, all the things that I I never want to feel I felt I felt uninformed I felt out of touch I felt old I definitely felt old I felt um you felt stupid instead of saying that Trump voters were stupid Yes, right? for sure. Because, because, because I mean, the other reaction be. would have been, all those people are stupid. Because that was the general reaction, was all those people were stupid. 
right? And, and you took I another knew, po- which is just so interesting to me. I knew that was reductive. Like, and of course it was reductive. Like, um, and obviously they're not all poor. I mean, the Cokes aren't poor. Betsy DeVos isn't poor. And then like my friend who was saying, well, they're all dummies. I mean, she would probably <laughs> say, well, yeah, they're rich dummies and they're poor dummies. But again, I'm like, because as, as the more I read and the more, and this is back when I was still listening to NPR and they were actually doing a really good job of delving into this. And, and, and New York times podcast, the daily were doing it great because they wanted to know too. And they were doing a great job of diving into like, who did vote for him? Who What's happening in America? Obama? What's like, happening in America? Yeah, who, it was hundreds of, I, what I don't are know the, the reasons? Right. Let's dig into right. this. And I, it was fascinating. And these weren't mm. dumb people. They were thoughtful people and they had issues that I just, their issues just weren't my issues. No, no, your job wasn't exported. Your town That's wasn't, exactly dec- your town right. wasn't decimated. There are towns in That's Oregon exactly even that are right. totally decimated. Did you know that before the pandemic, 20% of Oregonians are on food stamps? Why? Because we've exported their jobs. We've, you know, environmentalists with new regulations on the timber industry, you know, Rural America has become decimated and dependent and opioid addicted for probably a lot of reasons, of course, but exporting jobs and industries is a big reason. And I think, I just wonder if that has informed some of their attraction to Trump, right? They felt like, oh, I finally have a voice. So I don't know. Um, That was why I voted for him. And certainly I consider myself sort of like a coastal, you know, college educated corporate America person. Um, but that's so interesting, but it's, but it's for me, it's, and I can actually identify now it's America first policies. What would you say to somebody who says the words America first sound like white supremacist jargon? Yeah, I don't nationalist jargon. Yeah, fair enough. Um, white supremacists, we never use that term until 2015. It feels like a made-up term that just all of a sudden was said out of nowhere, right? So um, what do we use to describe, like, the groups like Adam Waffen and, I, I mean, what terms did we use to describe those people prior to that? Because they've obviously well, always yeah, existed, like yeah, the American History yeah, X movie, yeah. which is a great movie. Yeah, I don't know. I, I, I feel like, and of course, there are white supremacists in this country. Of course there are. I don't know any. I don't think I know any. Um but, you know, America first and saying that we care about our citizens first, I mean, if that's racist, I don't know another way to describe it. Um, people of color are shifting towards the GOP. They're shifting towards Trump. I mean, are we going to call a Hispanic voter for Trump a white supremacist? I don't know. So I guess I would just ask people, like, to dive a little bit more into why. Is it selfish to think about our country first? We're sending a lot of money overseas. What, what would you say to somebody who says, hey, we're all citizens of the world where America first is so limiting, especially once Clinton launched free trade America. I mean, it, it, it really, it's a real early nineties viewpoint of the world that sounds, what would you say to somebody who says, well, that pre Clinton maybe, but that sounds so out of touch today. Yeah, I'm not quite sure where you're going. Are you talking about just globalism in well, general? Yeah. And that and that saying America first would be selfish. Is that what you're saying? Well, I don't know. I guess um, America first is interesting. But w- what's what's so fascinating is I remember. So 
I was super far left, as a lot of us are. You don't um, sound like you were. Well, I have to see that side of you. I haven't heard that you side do. of you. As, as I think a, COVID might have been a little bit of a pill. It, a million percent. But I was super far left as I was a kid, when I was a kid, especially in like late high school, early college, like a lot of us are. I mean, yeah. I think, you know, my dad always used to say, if you're not a liberal when you're a kid, you don't have a heart. If you're not, you're not a, a dreamer, you're not a dreamer. Right. If you're not a conservative when you're older, you don't have a brain. And I remember being like, <laughs> shut the fuck up, dad, you know? Like, you're so out of touch. You don't understand anything. Like, you didn't even go to college. So don't tell me I'm in college. I know more than you. You know, just right. ugh, that whole like 20s narcissism, which I now loathe and abhor mostly because I, it takes me back to the place that I was in, and I feel so super ashamed of oh. um, my uh, very, very, very narrow mind and narcissism <laughs> at that time. But I, an incurious nature at that time. But um, so when Clinton, so I was a Clinton fan, but then he was super into, um, you know, NAFTA and free trade and yep. globalism, and right. I, I was, it's it, this is would now be considered I think a right wing position. I was completely against it. Oh, I, you totally just nailed it. I would have been one of those people hanging from the World Trade Center like and um you know one of those like now we would call them anti-fascist, one of those anarchists against right. free trade. Right. But now that's a right wing position. Right. Oh my god, you just opened up something so deep that I want to think about because you're totally right. Globalism was really perpetuated and celebrated by the Republican Party. I mean, I was sold that ideal in college, even through my working years of globalism is better, right? We can get cheaper labor elsewhere. We can have higher margins. We um, free flow of goods and services, right? We were all, not all, Republicans well, really- Clinton was on board with really, it. He spearheaded it, was, it. It was Clinton, and then it was Bush, and yeah. then it was Obama. They all did it. So it was good, in my opinion, at the beginning, to the point- until all of a sudden we had this huge trade deficit and we sold out all of our jobs. And then it became, wait a minute, is America now too dependent to the point that we've got um, national security problems and we have more people without jobs and more addicted? And, and I could not agree with you more that I think that – this is why I'm not a Republican anymore because I think those, those – the old point of view of Republicans was globalism. And it was the Democrats saying, wait a minute, you know, I don't know, because the Democrats – bill bill what, which who I think would be a Republican now if he was in oh, office. Oh, for sure. But even the and other frankly, thing. so would Hillary. <laughs> so would Hillary. Well, so, but so even. So would Obama. Oh, God. <laughs> um, but the other thing that, you know, used to be Democrat point of view was even um, Occupy Wall Street, right? The big bank bailouts or even big pharma. It was, it was our friends yeah. on the left that had the questions of the big corporations. Yeah. Now something's going on where it's like Isn't that the people on the right. And Isn't so in anti-vax, that was a left thing. That was a left thing. That was a hippie dippy granola, Jenny McCarthy garbage. Thing. And I will admit, um, I am unvaccinated. My husband is vaccinated and I believe in choice, but it's been interesting whenever I've gone to like health freedom rallies and meetings, it's been kind of the Portland closet, hippie dippy crowd. Yeah. That's there. And, and I keep saying to them like, where have you been? Where yeah. are you? But they're like, oh, I don't want to be called right wing. It's like, what the hell's going on? Isn't it Portland weird? was always anti-vax. Multnomah County. We don't have fluoride in our water. We don't have fluoride in our, in our water. And, and and Multnomah County a few years ago was one of the least vaccinated um, public of schools. Of course. And we suddenly were. it switched. So and I'm, we I'm had just, exemptions. We had exemptions. We had these broad swaths of exemptions. Ugh. My brothers-in-law, I remember they were, they had just gotten out of their residency and they were like, 
this is absurd. We are seeing kids with fucking whooping cough. Like, what the fuck is going on around here? And I remember just being like, yeah, it's those hippy-dippy, idiotic Jenny McCarthy people, you know, and now, and there's that little weird sliver of the left is like still speaking out against vaccinations, but they are aligned with the right, right wing speaking out against the COVID vaccine. I know. And maybe it's a unifying but topic. For some reason they can't come together. They I don't can't think come it together. is a unifying oh, topic. Oh gosh, girl. I don't know. But you know what I think is interesting? So speaking of these party switches, so Republic generally Republicans were like, Hey, global NAFTA, let's do globalism because it'll drive more corporate profits. Right. That was Republicans. And then Democrats were more, um, let's question big corporations and question big pharma. And Occupy Wall Street was a left-wing position. What happened, my theory, somewhere around like 2008, identity politics popped in. And everything became about race, um, gender, um, LGBTQ. Why 08? It was during the financial crisis, right? So the was financial it? crisis happened. Uh, Occupy Wall Street, and I could get my dates wrong. Occupy Wall Street happened, and everybody was camping out, and they were pissed off at the bank bailout. But why identity politics? Well, well, my theory, this is my theory, is that we bailed out banks and big business, and people were pissed because it was taxpayer money, yeah, we right? Were. So p- people were pissed. Was. The corporations didn't want to be the bad guy. They didn't want to be the bad guy. So instead, they directed our attention to all this identity politics stuff. And suddenly, we got into this point of, you know, everything became obsessed with race. And then BLM was born. And then, you know, pride flags. All this identity politics stuff started to happen right after the bailouts. Now, I could be wrong. We could dig into the timeline. But something happened that redirected our attention. And I feel like the left started to become far more consumed with with this politics. And it happened under Obama. Um, so anyway, I'm kind of going I mean, on a tangent sure. right now, but I just feel like no, something sure. has shifted and then the party kind of got a little hijacked and I, I don't know. What do you think? Well, that's interesting because I was definitely, I mean, pre 2020, I was totally down with BLM. So BLM obviously existed before 2020. And I mean, even Trump said George Floyd was murdered. It was wrong. Even everybody, Trump said that. every single American agrees. So that I think was a tragedy. we can agree on that kind of stuff. So for sure that was pre 2020 and maybe you're right maybe that was in part driven by corporate culture I just don't remember I mean I was at a big firm back then and it wasn't on our radar but I don't know maybe we were just we just hadn't caught up quite yet I don't really know that's interesting yeah what do you think you asked me a question a little while ago what do you think about politics in a balanced way in the schools how how do we teach history or teach kids about the presidents in a way that's, um, you know, not taking a stand on any particular side? Like, how do you think that we could introduce history or, or anything, civics into schools? Yeah, I know I'm circling back just a little bit, but I'm curious your perspective because you asked me. Well, I like what you said about bringing somebody in to teach Reaganomics if, if the teacher feels like they can't teach it from an unbalanced point of view. I mean, Mm. I like the idea of bringing in lots of different people from different administrations. Um, I mean, ideally, like if you were at Ivy League school, you could, in a very cool way, bring in um, people from different, you could bring in Sandy Berger, you could bring in um, people who served under under Bush, under both Bushes, you could, you could bring all those people in to talk about who the the policies like, and and if you're an Ivy league, the world's your oyster really. So you could bring in the people that actually crafted those policies. Right. Or if you're talking about like 
marketing and, and selling a campaign, you could bring in, I mean, James Carville just did a, a really great video about like, shut the fuck up about defunding the police. Um, because it's not popular and <laughs> like, he's such a great market. He's so yeah. freaking smart about like, yeah, forget your ideology. Like what sells? Like, I mean, his job is to sell a message and he pulls and he looks at the polls and he, he's so, I think he's the one who coined, it's the economy stupid. That's, that was oh, the Clinton is that him? campaign. Oh, and, and that's why Clinton won. And I think in part, that's why Hillary Lost. Look at Trump. He's a brilliant marketer. Because she she didn't follow James Carville's advice to her husband. She didn't talk about the economy. I don't think she even went to the Rust Belt. Did she even visit the Rust Belt? Sparingly. It was sort of like, oh, I've got these votes, whereas Trump, he had that whole strategy. No, I know. I, that would be super interesting. Like, imagine Harvard if they brought in somebody from the Trump administration, well, and they administration could. to talk about America first policies. Well, and they could. I, I they, mean, they wouldn't want to. They want. Yeah, they, yeah, they should. It would be interesting. Yeah, that would be interesting. Well, and I think... I'd like to think that as woke as those kids are, they're also curious people and that they'd be interested in hearing what some of those people have to say about those policies. I mean, I, I, I'd like to think that they would, um, they're not, they're not, um, goofballs like Milo Yiannopoulos. I mean, they, they, (laughs) you know, crazy. Yeah. Yeah. He's crazy. I mean, they, and they're not like, um, mega guys with, I mean, they're just, they're not stereotypes. Right, they're, right. they're, they're political wonks. And right. it would be, I, I think, I, I would hope that anybody would be interested in hearing what they was. I certainly would be interested in hearing what they all have to say. Um, I, I mean, I think that would be one way to do it on the lower level. You can't, you know, you, the with world kids, is certainly right, not your oyster right, at Portland right. public schools. In fact, the world is uh, limited to four walls with a window that doesn't open and a radiator that actually never turns on. So I, you know, um, how do you teach? I mean, I think, I think you just do it more in a more neutral way. You know, this is our, this is our president. Here's some background about our president. We're going to learn some stuff about our president and, And you know, in Portland, inevitably you're going to hear shit like, I hate Trump. My mom says Trump sucks. And you, you just got to keep control of your classroom and be like, we're not going to express our personal opinions about the president, or you could set up like in junior yeah. high, you could certainly do, um, you know, and in, in, this was exhibited, I thought very well in the movie clueless where they, uh, had it, one of my favorite movies of all time Mine where too. they had a debate class and they made, I, it may have been about immigration and they made share and that, um, woman who turned out to be a, a Republican, um, Dion, her best friend, Stacy, what's her name? Who's, Oh, um, she is St- Stacy dash. She is a very vocal who's Republican, a super vocal, vocal Republican. They had them come up and like debate pros and cons of like some incendiary issue. And it just seems like in junior high, why couldn't you, especially in Portland, wouldn't it be a great mental exercise to say, okay, one of you has to be pro Trump. Right. And one of you, I mean, it's dumb that anybody could be pro Biden, but like one of you in the last election, if you could say, okay, one of you has to be pro Trump. So read everything you can about him, learn everything you can about him, figure out, like find some good sources. Don't just read like national review, like read good sources, try go as left as you can, honestly, and see if you can dig out like morsels. I mean, not as left, not fucking mother Jones, but like Read the, read the New York Times and figure out if you can find morsels of prose for Trump and talk about it. Or even if you can find like 
things that nobody knows about him and people who support him, like Hispanics who support him or black people who support him and why they support him and use that in your argument. And that would be so, it would exercise their brains. It would teach them how to think critically. It would teach them about how to be curious. It would teach them about how to read analytically. Yeah. And, and how to argue for something they may not necessarily agree with, right? Like, I mean, this is the lawyer side of you coming out of having to research something well, I mean, and present it. I as, love that, right, so. right, right. But from a safe perspective, or even better yet, how about we bring in a person of color, a Hispanic Trump voter, and, and just hear from them and be open and be ready for it. Well, and that's part of why I started the podcast. Because I love that. Nobody, I had talked to people who had voted for Trump and I had done all this reading and listening to people and about people who voted for Trump. But still, I would sit in my backyard surrounded by all these people who were calling them morons. And it was just like really frustrating to listen to. Like, I'm like, you cannot be a citizen in our society if you don't understand why this person is president. Like, obviously, a bunch of fucking people voted for them. (laughs) So, like, wake up. Yeah. You have got to figure out what the rest of them were thinking or you're not going to function very well in society. Right. And then we just have to learn to respect each other and get along. And I think that's what has been the most, and I think we would agree on this, the most devastating thing in the last five years is the polarization of people to the point where they've lost friends. I mean, I've had a couple friends cancel me when they found out I voted for Trump. Oh, I'm sure. And I eventually just got, now I'm at the point where I'm like, if I can't be myself, if our friendship is conditional, then we're probably not that great of friends. Um, but that's the detriment because that is actually harmful for our country. It's harmful for our society and our communities because here we are talking on an anonymous podcast, right? We just have to figure out a way to get back to just respecting each other. Regardless, it's like, I don't care who you voted for. I care about how you treat other people. Like I care about how you treat other people. I don't care who you voted for. You probably have good reasons. It's controversial. I mean, the the annoying thing is pre-Trump, this would all be so uncontroversial. Like who you voted for? Like who gives a shit? Where are you doing a podcast on that? You know, like Like, why are you anonymous? Like, who cares? Just say who you voted for. I know. I know. It's so weird. You're going to fire because you say who you voted for? What are you talking about? I mean, if you if you had a time machine and you yes. can go back like 10 years oh my God. and say, well, I, I have this, nobody knows what a podcast is, but like I have a show and people come on and they're all anonymous because they don't want to admit that they voted for the guy who won for president. And to be clear, other cities aren't <laughs> doing this. So I was just at CPAC a couple of weeks ago. I actually went to CPAC and- the brand of Portland is not good right now. Anytime I'm like, I'm from Portland, people are like, oh, do you feel safe there? Or are you an Antifa infiltrator, <laughs> right? And I was telling them I was going to come on your podcast, and it's an anonymous podcast, and they all were just like, why? Why the hell? Like, they, to them, they can't even fathom. Or the week before the election, I was in Dallas, my girlfriend's neighborhood. Half the um, yard signs were Biden and half were Trump, and they're all getting together for dinner parties. Yep. And I'm thinking to myself, that's a free country. Yeah. That's people who love and respect each other. That's Portland in 2000, back during Bush and whoever he was running against. Yeah, right? like, I agree. You drove around the West I Hills, agree. people had signs, and you didn't give a shit who your neighbor voted for. Yeah. You had them over for a I beer. Agree. But something has happened, and I think it takes people like you and me fighting against it and saying, listen, we reject that divisiveness. We're going to agree to disagree here. We're going to have healthy agreements and healthy debates, and, and, and we're just not going to give into that divisiveness. And I think it starts here, so I'm just so happy to be here talking about this. I got to tell you, though, I got I got to be honest. I I think it started, I I think this divisiveness and I think the anonymity that that was engendered really started with him. 
I, I, I really do. I, I, I got to tell you, I, this, the incivility, I, I know a lot of people loved it. And like, I talked to Allie Crenshaw, the children's book author who wrote, uh, Frogs Don't Eat Floaties and she love her. She's great. I love that. I actually bought that book for my kids. It's about risk, uh, balance. She's wonderful. Um, She's she lovely. is wonderful and she is lovely, but she, she liked that about him. She, she liked it. And I know, and you know, Megan Kelly talks about this, like women love, she, she says women love that Trump's combative and fights back. And I, fine, I get it. But I, I think there's a difference between fighting back and doubling down on something you said that may or may not, that, that is controversial. Cause that's what he's best at. And that, I think that is why a lot of people love him is he doubles down on controversial statements. Um, fine, go ahead and do that. But I think that like the lock her up stuff, I yep. think, it's divisive. uh, let's bring Juanita Broderick to a debate and um sit her right next to my family um and and the women that that uh bill clinton uh allegedly harassed that he philandered around with let's just put them all in the front row and we'll sit them next to me during the debate um let's let's the the ad hominems and insults to his own party opponents mm-hmm. making fun of ted cruz's wife calling uh, Marco Rubio, little Marco. Um, the, again, I, I mean, the hairs on the back of my neck stand up because to me that I, I didn't want my kids hearing that. I didn't want to hear that. I, I thought it was gross. I thought it was unprofessional. I thought it was un, uncivil, extremely uncivil. And I thought, that the I think it engendered a response that and, and I'm not I'm not making excuses for it because I because it engendered that response a, a bad response from me but I'm not like still walking around in a cloth mask outside by myself because I hate Trump it engendered a bad response out of me but I think it engendered this insane response from the left and particularly from like people who reside in Portland to the point where, and I'm, not, I'm again, I'm not making excuses. I'm just trying to do some armchair psychology here to the point where, yeah, they're wearing cloth masks outside walking their dog because Trump it w- was so abhorrent to them that they see there's, and they're still so like sh- shaken makes it sound like they're snowflakes. But I mean, I, I, I feel like I'm a pr- pretty resilient, pretty hardened person. And to me, it was upsetting and obnoxious and wrong. Like I, I want to get, I ultimately, I hope that we get away from that in politics. Um, I'm praying that we get away from that lock her up and those rallies where he was whipping all those wackadoos up and they would like, um, he, he, he would point out reporters, um, at those rallies, he would point them out with his finger and he would say, she's written bad things about me. And she's standing right over there knowing that he's talking to these complete off their gourd whack jobs that, that are, it, it was, it was like, um, I mean, he called them rallies, you know, it, it was this, and, and then he'd whip them up and they'd all turn on the journalist. I mean, these journalists were saying they felt threatened. Like they, they, they felt like their bodily integrity was threatened. They felt scared, particularly the young women felt scared. They, and they were harassed and they were intimidated and they were surrounded. And, and he was happy about that. I mean, that stuff with Megyn Kelly bleeding out of her, whatever. I, I think when he said and did all those things, it engendered so much negative emotion that 
it, for a lot of people, it was unforgivable. Right? That making fun of that reporter who, um, whose hand was like curl, curled up, um, right under his neck. I mean, you know, Allie was like, people like Allie were energized by that kind of stuff. Um, and I like her. I don't, I don't like, I don't think she's a shitty person for that. I obviously it worked, you know, he won. Um, I think a lot of people were energized by that, but that troubles me. It, I'd be lying if I, as yeah. much as I like Allie, I'd be lying if I said it didn't trouble me. Yeah, that's fair. Um, yeah. And, and, and I think it's one thing to be upset or repulsed. I mean, you mentioned the hair on the back of your neck is standing up and I can certainly understand why it's one thing to resent Trump or hate him. It's quite another to hate or shame or mock or ridicule an entire block of yeah, voters. I think they just and I don't think understand. that's where I'm trying to I think it's where like they don't in. understand and he 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 whipped up people's emotions either positively or negatively right. in an extreme way and it worked for him and he won. But the net result is there are these um, illogical, I, I certainly illogical. Mm-hmm. They're walking around alone with a cloth mask on. Um, yeah, reactions. illogical, reactionary, emotional people, and there are many of them, most yeah. of whom live in this city and in Seattle yeah. and in San Francisco, who um, <laughs> reacted the opposite way. So there were people who reacted the way he wanted them to. It was obviously done to engender an emotional response and it worked great for him. It engendered the right response and he won. But then there were also, there was also a group of people. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I was included in the negative emotional response group, but not so much to the point where I thought that everybody who voted for Trump was, evil or right. s- or subscribed right. to that level right. of hostility, incivility. Um it was un it was undignified, it was uncouth, it was dirty and not in a strategic way. It to me it was um it really graded against my sense of um, what the values, my vibe values, yep. the values that yep. are important to me, like yep. fuck his infidelities. That, that was <laughs> the grab him by the pussy was gross. <laughs> Believe me, I, that, it was upsetting to me. And I hit the roll. I hit the right, roof, right, right. like everybody else in this town when he said that, but not in the way that taken all together, those, actions that were clearly intentional and clearly meant to generate a very high level of irrational emotional response that worked for him, um, didn't work for everybody else, many of whom are still carrying around that baggage. And yep. I, I, all yep. I can say is they're still carrying, all I can say is they're still carrying that baggage around. Of course, of course. And that's the only way I, I can account for somebody walking around with a cloth mask alone walking their dog. <laughs> I think you're right. I think you're right. And and think about that but I guess from a damaging perspective. For them. Right. Of course. Yeah. That's a great way to look at it. We do. Yeah, we we just have to figure out, I mean, to your point, the anger, the vitriol, the resentment towards a leader, um, we have to figure out a way to reconcile ourselves as a country. 
But I think we also have to recognize that he incited the anger, the vitriol, the resentment on purpose. Well, let me ask you this. In five years, when you were reading the New York Times and watching um, the media, did you ever, did, did you feel it was a fair and balanced report? Do you feel that there was ever good news reported about his presidency? Just curious, like your no, thought on the media. No, and I think that's why I don't still walk around with, with a cloth mask on, even though I did, I know it doesn't do any. I mean, a lot of, and I'll be fair, a lot of people think it does something. Um, I, I think the reason they think it does something is because they don't want to, they want to believe who they want to believe, and they're just sort of like closing their ears to science and data, and I think that's emotional. That's clearly illogical. Um, right. So no, and I think that's part of why I was able to, put all that aside and dig into why people did vote for him. And I think that's also part of why I was able to break bread with people who voted for him and why I'm able to sit here with you today and be friends with you. I know. And I'm just so happy we found each other. And, but by the way, that probably wasn't easy because your hair is standing on the back of your, of of your neck and you're saying, I'm so repulsed by this man, but I want to understand press was never fair to Donald Trump. My opinion. I don't think we ever got fair and balanced news. Nobody ever heard about the low unemployment rates, the stock market, the no new wars. People didn't, that was not celebrated. Um, Saturday Night Live did hit pieces every single Saturday night. The minute he took they office. Were funny. Yeah, for how, how are the rate? People have turned it off. Like some people have turned it off, right? But like, let me ask you this question. Where, where do you get your news now? Because I used to, I, I think as a generally right-leaning person, we've always had some distrust in the media where we felt it was somewhat biased. During the Trump years, a lot of people on the right started to really distrust the media. We just turned it off. Um, I feel I have to actually research to get any sort of meaningful data to form my own point of view. Where do you get your news now? Like, what, like who do you trust? Do you feel like you've lost some trust through COVID? I'm curious what you think. Uh, I like Matt Taibbi. I like Glenn Greenwald. I like, I like Barry, we- Barry Weiss. I like Nancy Rommelman. I like, I mean, these are all people I have to find on Substack uh, or on Twitter. Um, I like, I mean, <laughs> I like Joe, I love Joe Rogan. So do I. So do I. And here we are, like, we're turning to Joe Rogan to actually hear a different point of I view. I know, I joke about it all the time. But like, like what are I we get doing? a lot of my news from Joe Rogan. And I, I do. I get my news from an MMA fighter. Yeah, but it makes me just wonder. Who was on, host on Fair Factor. Like, we have to ask ourselves, like, how long have we been lied to and what have we been lied to about like it, it's the distrust is also something that's really concerning to me that people are distrusting on all sides of the aisle and like if we have to work that hard to get information and, and you and I probably are a little more interested in politics and we're going to do the research to go to Substacks and to find the information a lot of people don't have that kind of time or interest they read a headline and for them it's okay that's the update of the day right you know they just read a headline and that's their news um I still read that, everything, though. That, I still yeah. read, like, I still have a paid subscription to the New York Times. I have a paid subscription to the Washington Post. I have a paid subscription to the Wall Street Journal. I read, um, I still read pieces in Rolling Stone every once in a while, despite the really bad uh, lacrosse story. I read Vanity Fair. I read, uh, I mean, there, there's still some, um, I read The New Yorker. I, I still read The New Yorker a lot. Uh, a lot. I read the Atlantic. I read the Atlantic a lot. There's still a lot of media that I read, but yeah, it's with a skeptical eye. Although it didn't really concern me about whether or not they were like lying to me because 
before because I didn't, I didn't see any, and I still don't, even in hindsight, I don't see like repercussions of that in my life at all. I mean, I always feel like I was a pretty free thinker and I was able to, but, but I also think the news was different. I mean, it literally turned into just Trump watch 24 it, it was Trump watch and it was what ge- generated their revenue changed. yeah and then what think of what that does to the American mind it starts to play with people's psyche it starts to manipulate people or or you know what I'm saying like it, it, it was literally Trump 24 7 I think it is was that really bad, all we had to talk about like yeah it was a bad confluence of events because you know yeah. what happened is yeah tr- Trump came into office clearly everybody in media hated him and was against him in fact the New York Times didn't even like interview him and they interviewed like all the democratic candidates but they didn't when when they were talking about who they were going to endorse but they didn't interview They're partisan him. yeah They're partisan. they didn't interview him which is like I and I never pre-Trump I didn't view them as partisan and then I did and I felt gross about it and actually I still do and I still have to even though they still have a lot of people doing really fantastical reporting I still have to look at it with a skeptical eye but it's funny because I we got rid of our subscription and then there was an article that was like I hindsight was genuinely good, but it was an article I really wanted to read that I was dying to read. And I made my husband, I couldn't do it online. It was like some convoluted thing. And I made him call them and resubscribe with my tail between my legs. And uh, every once in a while now he'll be like, can we get rid of this rag? You know, like, like I'll, I'll read something that just like disgusted me. I'm like, listen to this. And he'll be like, can we get rid of this? And we pay so much money for it. I'm like, no, because I know there's going to be something else that I want to read. I mean, even modern right. love is garbage now, but every once in a while they come out like this David Lionheart piece. I thought that was really important for me to read. Um, so, and I, there's still, you know, quote unquote, the paper of record. I still think it's important for me to read. Yeah, um, it is. So I do uh, read it. Um, but yeah, when, I, when I'm when i trying to like ferret out what the real deal is, I mean, you know what's screwy? It, like with COVID, a, a lot of it was just like coming from Twitter. It was for listening to people that wow. I respect talk about the doctors that they like, like listening to Atia um, talk about Prasad, talk about Dr. Macri, talk about right. Monica Gandhi, talk right. about um, who I thought was like very conservative as to COVID, but I still read and, and listened to her all the time because I thought a lot of what she said was Monica Gandhi. Right. She was in San Francisco, right? Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And Prasad is in San Francisco. Right. Okay. I didn't know that. Yeah. He's an epidemiologist at uh, University of California, San Francisco. And, um, and you know, bizarrely, just in researching this, the cloth mask stuff never made sense to me. And bizarrely, just in like researching it, I came across... Michael Osterholm, who's an epidemiologist from University of Minnesota and was on Biden's transition team, like forever ago, talking about and trying to educate people about cloth masks and talking about how really only a fit tested N95 was going to buy you a any any kind of modicum of protection against COVID. And when I listened to him, my jaw dropped because I was like, Okay, this guy is on the left side. He's on Biden's side, and nobody's listening to what he's saying. And right. why aren't they listening to him? Right, right. And my head exploded. because they were driving an agenda. It is such a disgrace. Like I have just developed such a distrust in the media. I feel like I have to work so hard. You do to get facts, and most people don't have interest or the time that like no, you and don't. I do right now to have to search like sub stacks or I spent hours on the CDC website during COVID. And the whole time I was on there, I kept thinking, what is the big deal with COVID? 
not what is the big deal with COVID? Why are we reacting so forcefully with COVID? Because I was on the CDC website looking at the data going, people are going to survive this. Like, why am I being gaslit by the media? So to your point about being gaslit, circling back to COVID when they just now, the New York Times is saying, maybe we didn't need to shut down schools or whatever. Well, and, I and just it was feel- the net negative. That was the craziest part was when he was like, and the net consequences right. have been damaging. I'm like, I just feel like the media has literally evolved into the press for the White House. And it just makes me crazy. Except for when Trump was in office, it was it was the counter press, right? right? So I don't know, girl. I mean, we just we have to figure out how to rebuild trust and gain, you know, facts and all that stuff. Um what do you think? I want to go back to one of the reasons that you said that you voted for Trump. So you said you voted for Trump because of, of immigration and securing the border. And you talked about jobs, but what do you say to people who cite to data that says the majority of Americans um, want and say that immigrants, including undocumented immigrants, mostly fill jobs that citizens don't want? I guess I'd want to see data on that. I'd want to see data on that. Is that true? Okay, well, I'm just looking, so yeah. like I'm looking at Pew Research which I, th- I think we can agree is nonpartisan. Pew Research Center, it's a nonprofit. So this is from June 10th, 2020. A majority of Americans say immigrants mostly fill jobs U.S. citizens don't want. Americans generally agree that immigrants, whether undocumented or living legally in the country, mostly don't work in jobs that U.S. citizens want across racial and ethnic groups and among both parties. This is particularly true when it comes to undocumented immigrants. About three-quarters of adults say undocumented immigrants mostly fill jobs U.S. citizens don't want. And 21% say undocumented immigrants fill jobs U.S. citizens would want to have, according to a Pew Research survey conducted April 29th to to May 5th. Hispanics are most likely to say undocumented immigrants mostly fill jobs U.S. citizens don't want. Um, I mean, and that that makes sense to me. I I guess the reason I'm asking about, well, some of the biggest differences in views of whether undocumented immigrants mostly fill jobs U.S. citizens don't want are along party lines. The vast majority of Democrats... Uh, 87% say this compared with 66% of Republicans, although partisan differences are significantly wider on other issues related to undocumented immigrants. So even the majority of Republicans, 66%, now it's not high, it's not 87 like Democrats, but 66%, so it sounds like you don't think that. No, I don't. I think think if it was jobs Americans didn't want, why was the unemployment rate so low? It was record unemployment for black, brown, Hispanic women, all people. What four percent when he left office? If it's jobs Americans don't want, why were they doing them? Right. Well, I don't know I that, that they were doing them. We still had undocumented people here, um, and we doing did. landscaping, and we certainly had undocumented people here, and we always will. But, it's just, but I don't and see a lot of white landscapers, here. right? Right, or pool cleaners, or housekeepers. Right, or they, they could also nannies. be do- yeah. And I don't know who's documented and who's not. I guess that would be my response: is like, you know, if it was jobs Americans didn't want, why? Why were they doing them? So the unemployment rate was low because partially because the border was was secure. Like here, here's another example of of where I was super far left in a way that I think is now right. Um, I was a big Michael Moore fan, and and again, I I think a lot of Republicans would watch something like um, would would watch something like uh, Roger and Me. And agree with, have you seen Roger and I Me? I haven't. Well, it's a fucking great movie. It's like is one it? of the best documentaries of all it? time. Is it? It's a Michael Moore It's one? a Michael Moore movie, okay. and it's about how all the jobs in Flint, Michigan went away. Well, he's the one who said Trump was going to get elected, and he was right. 
Yeah, no, he, he lives was, there, and, and he hates Trump. I mean, let's be real. He, he hates Trump, hates but he knows blue-collar yes, people because he he's from Flint, Michigan. What do you think Michael Moore would propose as a solution? Knowing him, he would say divest CEOs of their money, yeah, um, put a cap. Yeah. yeah, it would be a socialist. It would be a socialist solution. Put a cap. And it might be bar- bipartisan. I mean, all I hear from the right now, too, is about corporate greed. So it might be bipartisan. Well, so this is the interesting thing. We talked about populism. So I consider myself a little more right-leaning populist. I'm finding myself actually following a lot of socialists on Twitter. And I am not a Isn't socialist. interesting? Because they have generally become more anti-establishment, right? For sure. And they're, they're calling out corporate greed and the ruling class and all this stuff. I think we just have different solutions to get there, right? And right wing people might agree with, I mean, they hate Bill Gates. Like they hate, they hate him. They hate him. So right wing people and they, they hate Bezos. The only person they really seem to like (laughs) is Elon because he, he's lately been towing the party line. I don't know. We'll see, but yeah, yeah. but we'll see. Oh yeah. Yeah. We'll see. So I think they might agree with Michael Moore. They might be able to come together. (laughs) Some kind of, I mean, you say you're, you're anti-government. I don't know. I think a lot of people like you might be able to come to shake hands with Michael Moore and put like a cap. This is very big government. Very big government. Put a cap on salaries of CEOs and say, look, you can only make 16 times what the person under you makes and then take the rest of that money and pay the pay your employees. You have to you would have to do a deal where they have to funnel that money back into their employees. And to me, that's the only way you fix this undocumented issue. Because the reason we employ all these undocumented workers, and many of them work here in Portland, Oregon, for a lot of people I know, and the reason that we employ them is because childcare is too expensive. Right. uh, Lawn maintenance is too expensive. Like all these jobs that, you know, Americans don't want to do for whatever people are willing to pay them. I mean, they're willing to do it and they're willing yeah. to do it for a lot cheaper. And so that drives down wages and it drives down the local daycares. Like, well, I'm now competing with undocumented daycare, right? So it drives that down. So well, and I think Michael Moore would say, look, what, what, what if we just, we, we could bring these industries back mm-hmm. if we forced now see mm-hmm. as a, as a business owner, I would say, well, um, yeah, you could do that, but uh, guess what's guess what's going to happen? All those CEOs who who you're now capping their salaries, they're going to go to places where their salary's not capped. They're going to go to like Germany right. or something. Right. I I they'll just pay I don't more know about taxes. right, and I don't know about capping CEO salaries because I am a capitalist. Um, so I don't know about that. I'd have to think that through. But, but um, what about corporate greed? Corporate greed. The corporate greed, greed is greed, there. Greed. The greed is there. I know. How do you, and that's how do you associ- curb the greed? Yeah, I know. There's so much. I mean, hey, like we have to make a profit, right? But like, how do you curb this the greed? This is what I, I don't know. What do you think? Well, I, <laughs> I mean, they keep the first thing that comes to mind is, is capping, capping the CEO. Salaries. But then I think, and, and I think there are a lot of, I, I go back and forth on this because I think there are a lot of, and again, as a business owner, do I need all the money that I make? Do I, do, do I need to have right. the life I have? Right. No, I, right. I could make do with a lot less. Right. Of course I could. And like, um, do, do I feel entitled to what I have? Yeah, I do. Of course you do because you work hard and, and this is a somebody, capitalist. Like you're a capitalist, and if right? Somebody took, yes. I am. And if somebody took my money and gave it to my employees, I would be mad. And I, I don't like salary caps. Move. I don't like salary caps, but like thinking like, so, so Trump did tax cuts, right? So we did uh, tax cuts across the board. Some people benefited, some didn't. 
CEOs, what they did when they got their tax cuts is they just reinvested, like they were supposed to create jobs. I know, with and that. they didn't. None they, of them did. They drove up the stock market. I know. They I did know. share buybacks. And I'm just like, should there have been a caveat to that? Like, I don't know. And so then who makes the money off the stock market? But then, but then don't they make the same argument where they say, oh, tax cuts. Okay, but it's still my money. Like taxes are yeah, my money that you're taking that I earned. So fuck you. Fuck you. I can do what I'm I want to do. Yeah. It's my money, you asshole. Like, like, why is there a stipulation? I know. I know. Or, yeah. I, oh. I, I think it's tricky because everybody keeps talking about corporate greed. But on the other hand, it's like, okay, you try convincing Jeff Bezos that that's not his money. Corporate greed. I, I know. And, and I struggle with this as a capitalist of like corporate greed um, we should be able to reach our full potential like you just described, but then corporate greed is sort of why we're in this position with the pandemic of two years of lockdowns. Like who benefited? Fortune 500 companies never shut down. Right. Their stock values went up by the billions. Small right. businesses suffered. Um, big pharma made a fucking killing. Right. So then I sit there and I'm like, I'm a capitalist, but what about healthcare? Of course it is. It's the reason we have an opioid crisis. Do you think big pharma gave a shit about the addiction problem? Of course they didn't. I know. Well, in some ways, as long as their customers weren't dying, they loved it. Of I mean, course. that's why they loved that. They loved that. Um, don't don't sell it to to cancer patients. Sell it to chronic pain patients because they don't die. They'll just be on it forever. I know. I know. Have you ever seen the Netflix documentary, The Pharmacist? Of course. It was so good. Oh my god! Yeah, Jaw that, dropping. Yeah, New Orleans, right? Yeah. His son was shot. Oh. Yeah. And he just he did yeah. Highly work. recommend that to anybody. Um, so what do you think? Like where, so rolling into 2022, I mean, we just talked about all these things. Well, I have to go back to one thing. I yeah. gotta go back to one thing. So yeah. you said, I, I, and I, I got it. Um, you might think I'm nuts. I, I don't think you're nuts. Well, wait, <laughs> wait till I say, maybe I will. <laughs> but you said, um, the world. Oh, I actually, I gotta go back. Okay. For, I gotta, I'm gonna put a pin in the Michael Moore segment, which is Everybody who hasn't seen it should go out and watch Roger and me because it was, it is one of the best documentaries of all time. And it is about Flint, Michigan. And it is about the auto plant where he grew up. And it's about the auto plant showing, shutting down and that city becoming an absolute slum, which is now racked with unemployment, opioids. And if it were in the Middle East, all of the young men in that city would now be ISIS converts because it is so devoid of hope and depressing. And, and now what's so funny is at the time it was a left wing. I actually, it was kind of, it was more nonpartisan. I mean, my dad who was a Republican was, was the one who showed it to me. Um, it became, he became a left wing icon, of course, Michael Moore did. But now I think a right wing person could watch that movie mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. align with Michael Moore because they're aligned with the idea that these jobs should not be shipped overseas and that these you a US first person will love this documentary because it is all about how these towns were destroyed. Just decimated. So did Michael Moore endorse Bernie? Oh, I'm sure he did. I don't know. Because I'm sure he did. Because there is a percentage. Anymore, there's a percentage sure of Bernie voters who voted for Trump. And some people there don't understand. I used to not understand it. Now I'm like, I get it. You know, Bernie used to be very early on about securing the border and kind of control, you know, immigration reform. And then he kind of backed off from that. But he had some similar thoughts about that from an economic America point of view. First. He's an America first type person. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. And I about think Michael that's Moore. Why. I have to watch the movie. And then, and then when I was in, 
law school, I was part of this idiotic law school contingent that won. And this sound, this is going to sound right wing. At the time, it was exceedingly left wing. A, a, a student contingent to um, boycott and resist and protest Phil Knight because yes. he was shipping all of the jobs to China. This is my point. Occupy Wall Street yes. and, 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 and exporting jobs and slave labor, right? People were all over Phil Knight. People were anti-corporate. So the corporation didn't want to be the bad guy. What did they do? They had to introduce identity politics. I think that's so, these, I never thought about These DEI way. trainings that suddenly the corporations are no longer the bad guy. They're there to save you. Nobody's talking about that anymore. No. And it was the people on the left that highlighted this. Now the people on the right are saying, wait, what's going on in China? So this is what is so fascinating. Well, and suddenly we're aligned on that issue, but it's just, and nobody's talking about that either because we we don't want to align on any issues. No, we don't want to align on any issues because we'd rather fight over identity politics. And whether we and should pronouns, wear masks. And pronouns and masks. <laughs> I mean, what and is with, the real problem? Yeah, yeah, and like, what's the real problem here? Yeah. I'll, I agree with the, the New York Times did a piece on it that I tended to agree with, which was sort of like, Hey, the cat was out of the bag with Clinton, and it's been so many years since then. We're not getting those jobs. I mean, back. bringing them all back is obviously a pipe dream. Well, even, we could, even a small amount. I mean, to do, yeah, I know. I, 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 I don't. I every, <laughs> everything would have to be reworked for them to make the same kind of money again. Right. We to Harper Greed. Right. Everything would have to be reworked so that mm-hmm. those guys make the same amount of money if they bring those jobs back and we can't get that genie back in the bottle because we can't figure out how to make that work. Well, and then like, okay, fine, China, if you want these jobs, fine. Like, why is there such a trade deficit where we're buying more shit from you than you're buying from us? Like, they're not holding up their end of the bargain. We have to start figuring out how to get tougher on them. And then by the way, Do they we de- have anything to sell them. Well, I mean, don't we make we make cars here and we have all kinds of shit here. They make cars there. I know. I don't think we have anything to sell them. I think we've exported everything we could have sold them. We have what do timber. We have, to sell we have them? timber. We have the oil and gas industry. We have big tech. We have all. We can't have innovation. Buy, can't we they have get oil and gas social from the media. Middle East? We have all kinds of things. We're the innovators. They can. Here's the problem. They could get social media. But because they crack down on social media, they have their own wackadoo yeah, social media. Yeah, what is media. that? Is it WeChat or whatever that shit is? Yeah. yeah. And and they, they so yeah. I, I don't think we have shit to export them. And they, they have so many, they're so far ahead of us, like in brain power, like they're so fucking much smarter than us. We're basically retarded compared to them. If they- Because they're they, teaching their kids how to think. We're teaching our kids exactly. pronoun Their posse. kids are in like, school. It's just Jesus Christ. Their kids are in Did school. Did China ever shut down their school? We, we don't know because we never probably got real information from China. We brought them all back in 20, September 2020. That's way better than us. I mean, that's pretty fast. Everybody brought everybody back. As kind of, this is from this is from the the New York Times, uh, September twelfth, twenty twenty. As countries around the world struggle to safely reopen schools this fall, China is harnessing the power. And and this is one way, like you said, authoritarianism sometimes it works for them. That was what they, they had very harsh lockdowns. Yeah, harnessing to, the power yeah. of its authoritarian system to offer in person learning, um, kindergarten through twelfth grade, and they have this command and control approach where. They inspect classrooms. They deployed apps. They deployed technology. They um, they open up all the schools. 
And we didn't. And we didn't. So they can, they, yeah, we have the iPhone. I mean, we, yes, we've got the iPhone, we've got the Tesla, we've got the whatever, but they're so fucking smart. They can build their own fucking Tesla. Yeah. They've already built their own iPhones. They all have them. They don't, all have their knockoffs. Yeah. Don't they just copy us kind of? Yes, intellectual they do. Property. So yes. should we protect that? I don't know. Are we? Well, I don't we know. can't, a lot of it we can't enforce internationally. Yeah. I mean, how are we going to enforce that? Yeah. I worry about China that as they become the oh my biggest God. customer. They might be the number one superpower. And, and They might be and right now. Yeah. And some people might say, oh, no big deal. Number one superpower. Like, who cares? But like. The challenge when somebody becomes a number one superpower is their ideology you're, becomes and you're number one. to them. And so do we want their system of government? Of fuck no. But not only fuck that, no. we're beholden to them. Like when you were like- what, Like when we have Trump, no leverage. We have right? no leverage. And when Trump was talking about bringing jobs back, I'm like, I couldn't stop laughing. I'm like, who's buying this? Yeah. I, it was so sad when people were making speeches like he's, he's going to bring our, com- he's going to save our company. I was like- Oh my God, this is so, it's gone. That horse is out of the barn. You're, Trump has no leverage over China. Like, like I said, like, what would they buy from us? He did, he did, um, institute some tariffs on them. And I know he charged them a lot. They had to devalue their currency, like in 2020. Right. So there was some of that going on. Um, but I still, I still don't know that that means that we could like one up them. No, I don't know if it's one up. It, 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 it needs to be fair and balanced. And, and I don't know what it is, but I'm happy that he was attempting to make a new trade agreement with them, right? Like, I think yeah, that there is a I real fear. I mean, there's a fear for our way of life if China gets too big, at, at least in my opinion. Um, I'm interested in what you were saying yeah. about the world being calmer. Because <laughs> when he was president, I, I, I felt very anxious. When, when he sent out tweets about Little Rocket Man and stuff. Who's Little Rocket Man? Kim Jong Un. Oh, that that was that made yeah, me very anxious. There was no new wars under Trump. There was peace luckily, agreements. Luckily, luckily, there was peace agreements. But but Putin to taunt, make a move. to taunt have... a sociopath like that—that's yeah. like um, having long brown hair parted in the middle and standing nude in front of Ted Bundy and saying, "Come get me." I, I mean, I yeah, he yeah. literally he. We were lucky. I mean, I I think we were. I think we he had lucky. more leverage over because we were energy independent as well, right? We were exporting more of our energy. So it gave us a little bit of a lever. He was working on trade agreements with with China, which gave us a little bit more of a lever. Um the border was secure. Oh, I'm not saying um, I feel safe now, but yeah, I definitely yeah, yeah. I just felt um, like Trump was unpredictable. He was. I felt like Trump was unhinged. And I felt like there were all these other unpredictable, unhinged people that he was taunting and um, screwing around with. And it didn't feel good. No, It it didn't feel calm. No. Yeah. I think we'll see a red wave because, I mean, the mega people will always vote mega. Yeah. But I think we'll see a red wave. The the swing voters will be people like me. And Jennifer Jennifer Say. And Glenn be, Young and yeah. moms and pissed off COVID, yeah, they'll, COVID people. They'll be those single issue mommies who, um, yep. They'll be the single issue mommies who, who, uh, care about their babies and wanted, want schools open and watched the teachers union. Oh, do what was best for the teachers with zero regard for the kids that they were serving, that we were paying the teachers to serve. Of course. And that's a sting. Do you, do you think this voting block of moms that we're talking about, 
I just don't know will, if we're big enough. Do you think that they Allow can ever, them. like, like, do you think they'll ever forgive the Democratic Party for that? Like, a lot of them won't. Like, the next six months, they're going to be working really hard to earn your trust back, right? It's going to be mandates are gone. Um, everything's great. Let's declare victory, right? Like, but, but these same moms, let's be honest, they're suffering from inflation right now and they're filling their gas tanks for seven bucks a gallon. And so they're going to be pissed, right? Yeah, I, I think um, voting red is going to be very uncomfortable for a lot of people. Yeah, I was I was just talking to my Todd son about this because he's um, interested, super. He's at UW, super interested in politics and, and um, he's somebody I can kind of like bat issues around with and uh I said what do you think about this he's interested in DeSantis he's a he's a lifelong democrat he's interested in DeSantis though and Mm -hmm. and I said well what what about what do you think about this um don't say gay thing like you think Mm -hmm. he's gonna sign that and he said oh yeah I think he's gonna sign that he's been talking about signing it and he's gonna like he's gonna spin it as as parental choice and what's weird to me is um like for instance like the who's the name of the guy who wants to ban CRT? Chris Rufo. The guy, mm-hmm. the guy who's in charge of like banning CRT. What, what I think He's in is in Seattle. Yeah. In Seattle. What I think is interesting is, um, you know, a lot of libertarians disagree, even though they, they're right wing and, or left wing and they, they don't agree with, um, anti racist, ideology being taught in schools and that that's what it is it's a philosophy it's just an ideology um and I agree I don't I don't love it um but I I am not a libertarian but I don't I also am a speech person and I'm an ideas person I'm a curious person and I don't want it banned um and I think there are other right wing there are I'm not right wing but there are other free speech types I th- that might call themselves libertarian who are right wing, who would agree with me, who don't want speech banned. Yeah. Um, they don't want CRT taught, but they also don't want speech banned. Yeah. They don't want laws that ban people from saying things. Right. And like, that's what concerns me about this. Don't say, I'm going to call it, don't say gay. I know there's, you know, is, isn't that a left wing headline? I'm just curious. That, it is. It's a left wing spin on it. I don't know what else and, to call it. And tell me the nature the of the bill. Said, yeah. Bill. Yeah. My, my understanding is the nature of the bill isn't like children age five to eight. They're not going to be teaching sort of sexual, um, orientation or sex ed. Is, is that what the well, bill it's is? Sex ed generally. And, and the way that the conservatives are fighting it is they're saying, well, we're, it's not about gay people. It's not targeted at gay people. And I think it's like a, this is going to sound like I've got metal all over my face and uh, covered in um, tattoos and I'm, I'm reassigning my gender next week. Ugh. But like as a pro-sex person, which right. I, I mean, I want. It's good you're pro-sex. I'm going to sound like a wackadoo, but like I want my kids to have information. I want them to have, we're, I'm a Christian, but I'm Episcopalian. I, I want them to have healthy, consensual, good sex lives at an appropriate age when they're ready. I'm not talking about 12. I'm not talking about five. I'm not talking about 14. But in our house, information is paramount and appropriate information. Like I don't sit them down and make a list of all the drugs I've done. And and I never will do that because I'm also very into boundaries. But, um, and and I'm into boundaries in terms of, of sexual education. But when they were little and they asked me about, how babies were made, I told them. Like, I, yeah. I and not in an explicit or just dis- 
or, or lewd way, I, in an anatomical way, I just told them because I just thought, why would they not, why why would I keep that information from them? But they were teeny tiny, like three years old, right? I mean, I just remember my three-year-old thought it was the funniest thing she'd ever heard in her entire life and couldn't stop laughing. And even now they have sex ed at Catholic school. What age? My eight-year-old. Oh, and my wow. 10-year-old have sex ed. And I, I'm not against it. Right. And they learn about appropriate touching and inappropriate touching. And I'm not against it. I'm right. totally for it. From the time they were teeny tiny, we were always teaching them anatomical names. And this is special and it's yours. And you are, please tell us if anybody ever, 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 ever touches you there, if you ever feel uncomfortable, it's okay to tell mommy and daddy or, or anybody, right, a trusted right, adult, find a trusted right. adult. Don't tell right. mommy and daddy, find right. a trusted adult right. that you can tell. Right. And, um, I think it's so important for them. And right. I, I'm happy that they're talking about that in school. Yeah. And I might not agree with it all the time. Like that somebody, Megan Kelly was talking about a science. She was pissed off because a science teacher had told her kid and a group full of students that they could, if they wanted to be transgender, they could take hormones and cut their penis off. And she was incensed by that. And I get it. I mean, I, I probably yeah. would be too. But on the other hand, do we, do we ban yeah. speech? No. Yeah. Hey, listen, I mean, this is a whole nother treasure trove and I'm not a mother, so I can't even imagine. But I Some guess of the things you guys are like struggling with. Yeah. Yeah. I, I've not read the bill, but it's like, at what point do we say that we are or are not co-parenting with the state, right? Like some of these things, to your point, you discussed with your children in your home where you discuss sex or you discuss whatever, like, should that be discussed in schools as young as Why five and six year old? Yeah. Or pull them out or something, but Why like, can't, but can kids, can, can, can they digest these things at that age? I don't know. So, so what is the bill saying? Is, is the bill saying we can't teach sex ed age five through eight year old children? this is from the wall street journal it's from two days ago does the don't say gay bill say that and it's from the editorial board and it says opponents call it let's see the date is march 11th 2022 opponents call it florida's don't say gay bill and the political branding seems to have worked given how the mainstream press lauded the charge and the phrase and the national rallying cry the legislation passed the florida senate on Tuesday, and now awaits Governor Ron DeSantis' signature. So what does the seven-page bill actually do? One section says schools generally, quote, may not discourage or prohibit parental notification of and involvement in critical decisions affecting a student's mental, emotional, or physical health or well-being. I mean, that I support. Parents also can't be blocked from, quote, education and health records created, maintained, or used by the school. That I agree with. I don't disagree with that. I can see issues with it. For instance, we live in Portland and I don't know a lot of people like this, but I'm sure there are people who exist who I'm sure there are. And I know that there are people who throw gay kids out of their house. Um, There are few and far in between as time goes on, but I know that they exist. And um, you can imagine that, that possibly a child uh, could have gone to a school counselor and said, I'm gay. And if my dad knows about it, he's going to beat the crap out of me. And this bill gives those records to the dad. So, I mean, obviously that's complicated. Right. Right. Um, another section says classroom instruction by school personnel or third parties on sexual orientation 
or gender identity may not occur in kindergarten through grade three or in a manner that is not age appropriate. So, I mean, that I would disagree with because, I mean, from the time my kids were teeny tiny, I mean, some of our very best friends are um, same-sex parents. And they, so my, I, I think it's weird to not acknowledge to little kids that mommies can marry mommies. Right, right. So that. And so this bill is taking that out? Well, that, it says, an, quote, classroom instruction by school personnel or third parties on sexual orientation or gender identity may not occur in kindergarten through grade three or in a manner that is not age appropriate, unquote. Parents who think the law isn't being followed could ask for an appointment of a magistrate to review the dispute or they could sue and get a declaratory judgment and attorney fees. So it effectively bans. I mean, nobody in their right mind is going to overstep and be subject to paying the attorney fees of some parent who's mad because you read a book about how all families are different to a third grader. We'll see. I mean, when is he supposed to sign it? What do you think of that section, though? Which section? So what do you think of this section? Quote, classroom instruction by school personnel or third parties on sexual orientation or gender identity may not occur in kindergarten through grade three or in a matter that is not age appropriate. So, so classroom instruction, that could mean that could be a comment, right? I mean, that's very broad. It could be, it could be, um, I mean, you're a teacher. So if you acknowledge that gay people exist to somebody in grade, to a, a, a class of third graders, is that classroom instruction? I think it could be. Yeah. It certainly could be. Yeah. I mean, and they, they're allowing lawsuits, right? So it's up to the magistrate or it's up to potentially a jury if you want attorney fees, um, maybe, or, or, at le- at the, or a judge. It's up to some subjective individual about whether you engaged in classroom instruction. If you read a book about how all families are different, it, so I guess a parent gets to sue and then a magistrate mm. or a judge decides whether that's classroom instruction about sexual orientation. Yeah. Gosh, kindergarten, I, again, I'm not a mother. Kindergarten just sounds so young for any sort of school ideology or sex But they're going to have friends who have two of mommies. Of course they are. Of course they and are. And aren't they going to have questions of about that? Of course they are. And, and that's in the family. And so is you, it you as a mommy can explain. Or is explain. it just out and about? I don't know. I, I just, I do struggle with, sex ed in school is that sex ed I don't know I don't know I don't know and how far does it go right like if two mommies drop off a kid at kindergarten is that your job to explain that or is that the kindergarten teacher's mom job to explain that but what if the kid turns to the teacher and says oh Sandy has two mommies why does she does, oh. does she have two mommies yeah the te- yeah are the they both mommies say, yeah the teacher should be able to say of and be subject to a lawsuit. Oh, is that what this is saying? Okay. Well, it's it's saying that I can sue and mm. say that that's what it says. Mm. Yeah, that puts teachers in a tough position. 
I mean, it, it effectively muzzles you from, it does muzzle you from muzzles talking about gay people. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's not. To, it, to that's, me, that's, that's, that's my interpretation. Yeah. That's what I would say. If a parent, yeah. if a parent came to me and said, can I file a lawsuit based on that section? Because the teacher said, Sandy, this little girl in my daughter's kindergarten has two mommies and acknowledged that they were married. Can I file a lawsuit? I think that was wrong and inappropriate. And I'd say, under this bill, I think you probably can, and you could ask for attorney fees. I mean, why not? Let's roll the dice. You yeah. can get attorney fees. Let's see. What what prompted this bill? I don't I wonder. Homophobia. I don't oh. know. I mean, I think, honestly, I think what prompted the bill was te- bullshit teachers um, talking about... I think it was non-binary garbage, honestly. I think that's probably what prompted it. Yeah. It was probably teachers doing shit. Like, I don't know if you watched the Sex and the City reboot, but it's- I didn't. It's, I heard it was so it's woke. Actually, well, it, I heard it was so woke, okay, I couldn't do the it. First half of the first half of the first episode, I stopped because it was too woke. But then I was told by a neighbor to continue it and that I would love it, and I did, and I ended up loving it. So if you can get past the first half- you will love the second half and you will, okay. I, th- I think, okay. if you're okay. a fan, if you're okay. a fan, which yes. I'm a diehard fan, yes. you'll, and you'll love yes. the rest of it. And all the characters were so great. And it became super nuanced and complicated and layered and whatever. But there is a scene, and I think this is what they're getting at. There is a scene in there where Charlotte's daughter doesn't tell, doesn't tell Charlotte, but she becomes non-binary. So this is the left's obsession with identity politics. But it's real. It happens. It is real. Of course it's real. Of course it's real, but this is the obsession with identity politics. We're living in a country with inflation that's out of control. People yeah, don't have right, jobs. Right. People are losing businesses. And so like, I just, I feel this obsession is going to back. Too. It, it, it is because, because the right is so trying to pick on this bill because they're focused on this bill. And Chris Rufo is so focused on getting anti-racism out of school. I know. And, and I, I don't like CRT either. That's why I quit my job circling back to the beginning. Yeah, no, I don't, I don't like it, but I also, I'm with you. I don't think we can just say, well, CRT just doesn't exist in an ideology in a free country. If someone wants to teach it or well, learn and it, I think my kids have to, to learn about it. They're going to be dummies. They're not going to so, be able to function in society. And so it's this, the most important philosophy that people are talking about right now, right or wrong. It's there. They it's, have to it's learn there. about it. Is it helping our nation? Is it hurting? I don't know. We could certainly debate they it. They still have to learn about it. This comes back to school choice. Another Trump policy that he supported school choice parents should have the right to choose you know where I to, totally agree and people he got slammed for that five years ago now covid probably prompted people to agree like if we have school choice you as a parent could decide am i going to send my kid to this crt I think school the left would still disagree. or not i don't know i i, I mean what as is, a what, democrat i i have been persuaded i was against school choice until i had kids then i was into school choice i was really into school choice and i agree if we had school choice, and I think Florida does, but they're if, they're moving that direction. I know. If sure. they move that direction, they won't need this bill because you can send your kid to the evangelical Christian school, of course, where they teach what you want them to teach or whatever. People will self-select, and they're not going to send their kids there, right? And we, so there's not going to be any discussion. We need school choice. I am a huge fan of it. And again, I'm not a mom, but you know, I, and I used to be. I'm a product of public no, schools. I agree. I used to I totally. I used to totally support public schools, blah blah blah. But now I'm just looking at this perpetual poverty in inner cities and rural America, things like this, where parents are battling over uh, the curriculum. Well, if we had school choice, perhaps that would help us at least move to solve the problem, right? I, I, I don't know. I'd love to see that. I would love to see that. Right now, the school choice is really serving Zoom class or, or people who have the means. Like, you had the means to pull your kids out to go to private school, and 
other people maybe didn't. And yeah, so it's only we, serving rich people. Of course. So we have to figure out a way. And I think that would it's help. It's so lift wrong. Because I feel like that's why we're here right now is that there is this muzzling. What you're doing is a true gift to Portland. So I'm just so happy that we could be here. Thanks so much, Rosie. My hope is that someday we can sit here again unanonymously because we'll have evolved past this tribalism. But hey, like it's going to be an interesting year ahead. I I think there's so many things that are going to happen between now and the midterms. And so I would love for us to regroup as it gets closer, especially with local politics, city council is a total shit show. We should totally regroup on all this stuff because I think what I love about your podcast is that we have to remember that we all have more in common and we're all far more alike than we are different. Well, thanks Rosie. I really liked having you on. I hope you come back. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. That was really fun. Okay.